Hey, welcome to the 285th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently still talking about X-Men to Hidden Years from like 2000. And uh, John Burns, X-Men to Hidden Years. It's a really cool story that takes place between the original run and when they did reprints before Giant Size X-Men came out. So it's, it's a really cool uh, character development and just missing stories and everything. Um, I may be doing movie or off my mind at some point soon. I have to decide when I'm going to do the cutoff for that. But extra 30 minutes every week. But, but if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanformech and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash gmanformech. All right, what's going to be the feature this week? <laughs> it, it came down to Thursday. I thought it was going to be sharper. So it's a movie, uh, I forgot who directed it, but it has Julianne Moore, it has Sebastian Stan, it has John Lithgow, it has, has people on there. It's playing in theaters and on Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus. I was like, okay, cool. I don't think it's going to play in my theater. I'm pretty sure it's not. I'll watch it on Apple Plus. So I'll go Thursday because, you know, sometimes they, they pop out early, like Thursday night, Friday. It's not there. I'm like, wait, what? I look it up. It's not coming out till this Thursday, it's 17th. I'm like, what? So where I, I gather up all my, I think it's it's one of those playing in a theater for a week and then it opens up streaming. So I was like, oh man. I was like, what am I going to watch? Because I didn't want to go, I do want to see Magic Mike's Last Dance, but I don't, I'm, I'll wait till it's streaming somewhere. I'll watch it eventually. I'm in no rush to see it. And I just, I'm just not in the mood. And uh, too much sexiness, I guess. I don't know. Um, so I was like, what am I going to do? Then I was going to watch, somebody i used to know so that's a movie it's on amazon i think it has allison brie right and it's dave franco's directing it and i think dave franco's hilarious and so i'm really curious to see i'm trying to think if he's directed anything before but i was like oh am i gonna be able to have time to watch that because then this is like like getting it's starting to get late and i want to record and get i have to have other things to watch um, I decided not to watch it. I, I am going to watch it. I don't know if that's a what I call a quote-unquote podcast-worthy movie or a podcast movie. I don't know if that's something that you want to see. It looks it looks like a good story. It looks like a good movie. I, I am going to – I might watch it um, soon, maybe like after I record this or, or maybe tomorrow. Uh, I just don't know. It, it's a love story, basically. I don't know if that's something people want to hear about. And yeah, I could talk about it, how good is it, blah, 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 this and that. But I end up going with uh, – the Harley Quinn's very problematic Valentine's Day special. It's essentially episode 11 of the next season, but it's a double-sized episode. So I'll just go with that. And I, I debated. I'm like, but yeah, so that's that's going to be our feature this week. And then, of course, we have all the other shows, season finale of National Treasure. There's two episodes of Bad Batch. So we should just get started. Rather, I'm sitting here talking about what everything is going on. Um, the, the first thing I'm talking about is uh, James Gunn. And all this DC stuff. So it was interesting. He, you know, he addressed a few things, and this is what's great about James Gunn. You know, he just gets on Twitter and 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 lays stuff out. <laughs> like one of the things he talked about was uh, there's a crazy hashtag, hashtag sell the Snyder verse to Netflix, <laughs> and he's like, 
I have to say this has got to be the wackiest. This has got to be the wackiest hashtag ever since one Netflix hasn't expressed any such interest, although we've discussed other stuff. And two, Zach hasn't expressed any interest and seems to be happy doing what he's doing. And yes, we too have talked. So it's just a whole idea. I mean, there is no way. I'm sorry. Netflix cannot afford to buy that. And in these budgets, it would just be insane. But uh, there's all these people who are like, they should just sell to Netflix. It's like, one, I, Zach doesn't seem to, he doesn't want to do it. He's got his, his own stuff. And then other things, um, someone asked him, what what'd y'all talk about? And James said, he contacted me to express his support about my choices. He's a great guy. Again, he seems really happy with the massive world he's, massive world building he's doing now. He's got his rogue planet stuff or whatever like that. But it's just it's just funny how I don't know. But that's the thing. It's basically Zack Snyder's he gives his approval of everything. He's moved on. It's time for other people to move on too. Because I don't just don't even think anyone else would want anything to do with it. So I don't know. As far as TV flash, I mean there's been other stuff about Ezra Miller. Um actually there wasn't has been so much. Uh, the the actress that played Iris west in there she was saying you know she's known ezra miller before he's a great guy and just everything like that and you know so she's hoping people will watch the movie and um but as far as the tv flash which started this week the showrunner eric wallace he basically he, he mentioned how he was he was kind of forced to abandon plans to do like a legends of tomorrow to resolve like the cliffhanger from the tv show since it was was canceled and that's basically because of the shortened season they're supposed to have like 20 episodes and then now they're down to 13 so they had to like cut some stuff and you know, there's so much stuff with the, with the flash's family that they had to cover so he was hoping to do like maybe like one or two episodes with the legends and just you know wrap all that stuff up with with them being locked up in time jail or whatever and booster gold but no it's not going to happen and he, he also i think it was like on a, on a podcast and he, he talked about, you know, there's plans for season 10. You know, he talked about like Despero coming back and, and her Justice League helping Barry and, and stuff like that. So it, it could have been cool, but not going to happen. So, okay, that's, that's just how it goes. Warner Brothers has said that uh, Constantine 2 is still happening. So Keanu Reeves. So, so even though everything is kind of shaken up with the changes and stuff getting canceled left and right. But I, I guess that's still happening. So that that's good news. <laughs> this was interesting. Star Wars Andor, they almost had an F bomb in there, which I I'm so glad they didn't. And not because I I, I mean again, you I I dropped F bombs so many times. I mean you would not believe it. You probably wouldn't. You would never believe it because of how I I'm so anti profanity on podcasts and stuff like that. But that's because I wanted to be like a PG 13 rating. I want people to be able to listen to this with their kids in the background, not have to worry about anything, all that stuff. So they were going to drop, they almost dropped an F bomb in and, or it was like the speech. If you watch it, you know, there's a speech at the end. They're going to say fudge the empire, but not say fudge. I just, the only thing is I don't think it would be appropriate because I, I don't, I feel like that word doesn't exist in the star Wars language. Just like you know, Battlestar Galactica wasn't it? They use frack because that's what that's what exists there, and I it, it still bothers me that Han Solo said in Empire Strikes Back, "I'll see you in hell." So it's like, so does that mean that they have the concept of hell somewhere in Corellia, and and who who has a concept of hell? Jedi sure don't. So it, it just it always bothered me that they I don't I feel like they shouldn't have used hell in Star Wars. 
and again, not just it's a bad word or anything because it's not. It just it seems weird. I think they they used the the poop word s word, which again I I I don't think it it makes it fits, but whatever. Uh, so so I, I guess this is something that has been mentioned before, but apparently um. Uh, Bob, so Bob Iger is talking about Kevin Feige almost getting fired in 2015. So um, what's his name? Perlmutter wanted to remove him as president and because he shot down Feige's ideas to make the MCU more inclusive with, with female characters, uh, black characters and LGBT, you know, superheroes and all that. So obviously Perlmutter was against all that. And um, I guess Kevin Feige was almost going to walk and everything like that, but uh, Bob Iger kind of stepped in and, and was like, no, you can't do this, which thank goodness. So, you know, you have to appreciate that because I can't, it's, it's almost scary to think about. It's like, what would have been like if Kevin, you know, not that it's all because of Kevin Feige, but I think, you know, there's a large part of it. So that's just crazy to, to, to think about that. Oh, also with the Warner Brothers jumping back there is uh, the Kite Man spinoff, animated spinoff from the Harley Quinn series. That's still happening. You know, they're talking about doing a spinoff and then a, a, again, what is still happening, what is not. So that's still happening there. There was a trailer. I'm trying to go a little quicker so this doesn't last forever. There was a trailer for the, the Furious X, Fast and Furious 10, whatever you want to call it. Man, I, I'm, of course I'm going to see it. These movies are so ridiculous. It's crazy that there's 10 of these movies. And here's the thing. Cause like when the first movie came out, I, I didn't go to see it. I'm just like, okay, whatever. I don't remember. I think I rented it or I don't know if it was like during the Netflix when you get discs in the mail or, but then I finally, you know, I finally got caught. I, Cause I, I remember I didn't see like two or three for the longest time. And then I finally watched everything and um, I, yeah, so I'll watch it. The, the trailer looks nuts. <laughs> and that's the thing is, you know, people complain about the Marvel movies, but it's like, what about these fast and furious movies? And, and, you know, they're not meant to be, works of art or anything like that they're they're entertainment and i think people just forget that sometimes when they just want to just tear down everything it's like people enjoy it that that's what matters so i don't know um interesting news spider-man noir i really don't know how i feel about this so they're going to do a live action spider-man noir at at prime at amazon um oren uziel is going to write it and uh I, th I think the the dudes from uh, Into the Spider Verse are like executive producers or something like that. Um, the thing is, where where I'm a little hesitant. One is, you know, it's not going to be Nick Cage, so it's like, wait, but whatever, that's fine. I wouldn't expect it. Um, apparently, it's not going to feature Peter Parker as a main character. What the heck does that even mean? You know, I'm I'm really not sure what to make of that. So Peter Parker's not the main character. Does that mean Peter Parker's not Spider-Man? Or does that mean it's a Spider-Man noir universe, but Spider-Man's like not the main character. He's just an adjacent. So it'd be like, oh, it's going to focus on J. Jonah Jameson noir writing about Spider-Man. I, I really, I guess we have to wait and see because I, I don't think there's any other information about that. But that's just, it seems, seems weird. Um, apparently Elizabeth Banks, wanted to direct or almost directed Thor Ragnarok. You know, there, there was like, I think a call went out, but then it didn't really go any further. Um, I, I don't know what, how I feel about that. I mean, I, I can't really comment on it. I, I haven't really, I, I know she's directed a bunch of stuff. Didn't she do like pitch perfect, which I'm, I, that's not, I'm not knocking it or anything like that. She's done other stuff. I think, she, isn't she doing cocaine bear? 
I, I'm going to admit, I really don't know a whole lot about Cocaine Bear. <laughs> um, that's coming out not this week, next week, or it's coming out soon. I might that might be a movie feature for a podcast because I, I think it's coming out if it's a 23rd or whatever. I think it's a week where there isn't anything else, so I might go actually go see it, even though I know zip about it, uh, just a couple things. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm, I'm curious how that would have been. It, it could have been cool, you know, to have have you know, another woman director. But Taika Waititi obviously did, did a great job. So it's it's always weird to think about that. And, you know, I, I do think about sometimes, like, even, like, with a comic book, it's like, what if, like, Jim Lee didn't draw this, this issue but someone else did or, you know, and so forth. So I don't know. But it was it's interesting to hear about that. Uh, Brendan Fraser, Superman audition way back in, like, 2002. And uh, it was with the J.J. The Abrams uh, movie that, that the script leaked or something happened. I, I don't remember. And, you know, he talked about, you know, he was, he was like excited and everything that, you know, he's glad to get the opportunity, but he was also, I guess, kind of happy that it didn't happen because he wasn't really sure if he'd want to be defined as being the guy who played Superman, that, that, you know, that would kind of stick. That, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. Cause you know, I don't think people are going to say Henry Cavill is the guy who played Superman. You know, they may mention that, but you know, he's done some other iconic roles and, and, and such. And even, you know, Brandon Routh, who that's what this movie it kind of evolved into Superman Returns. You know, he I don't wouldn't necessarily say him. He's the guy who played Superman. You know, it, he, I used to think of him more as Ray Palmer now because you know we've seen more of that in Legends of Tomorrow and all that. But it, it could have been cool to see Brendan Fraser back in the, back then as Superman. I, I think that could have been cool. Uh, Scott Snyder and Jock. So if you ever read this comic series Witches, it was really cool. There's going to be an animated show on Prime. That that I I I, I guess I'm I'm excited. I'm intrigued. I'm interested to see how this is going to come out, and hopefully, you know, they will kind of capture Jock style and all that. I guess you know the the thing that's on my mind is I'm trying to think what was the last story that we got from this because I, I remember there we had the first volume I think we had a second one and but I, I feel like the main story never concluded or it there was supposed to be like another volume I don't know if we ever got that we got I think we got some one shots so I'm just really curious where it would have gone and I guess the other thing is I I what I'm curious about with this is like what's the overall plans you know are they just say hey let's just worry about the first season now see how it goes or is there like like a, a tv bible like okay we're gonna do this this and this or so I'm I'm really curious, and you know I think you know Scott and Jock are going to be like executive producer, you know they're going to be involved with with as they should be. So it, it'll hopefully it's it's going to be awesome and all that. Uh, Vincent Donofrio is, is, t- is talking about he he basically says it's like the Daredevil reboot it's it's going to surprise fans. He's excited. He's like we're doing cool things and all that. So that's ex- exciting. Uh, I feel like I feel like it was almost like it was confirmed so long ago. And it's like, when is this happening? You know, it's just so so on the edge of my seat for that. Speaking of edge of the seat, Fantastic Four, uh, I guess it's going to start filming next year. Um, that's according to the, the director, Matt Shackman. Um, he, th- th- there's been mentioned that it's going to embrace the source material, so that that's cool. But what exactly does, does that mean? I'm really curious. This is where you know the controversy is going to come up is is the casting. Who's going to be cast as as the family, and are they going to try to be, you know, diverse with it? You know, on one part, it feels like, yeah, they should 
but you know the traditionalist part of me is like they they're they're white dudes you know reed is white johnny's white sue's white uh i didn't have a problem with jessica alba being cast because it was jessica alba but you know and and like michael b jordan as johnny and then kate mara was she sue it's like okay you know she was adopted all right fine um I was I was almost thinking I was like they get Michael B. Jordan to play Reed now, even though he was a killmonger, that would be kind of weird. But I don't know. Uh, so it's just going to be weird. I I mean I always say get the best actor. Just it, what what bothers me when they're specifically like okay we need to get this actor. We're we're specifically looking for this. I would just say hey we're doing auditions for Reed Richards. We just want male actors. I'm assuming you're going to go for male. I mean, maybe you don't even have to do that, but we want actors, you know, age 30 to 45 or whatever, you know, and then you just audition everyone who is the best. And it's like, oh, it happens to be a Latinx person. Okay, we're going to have Reed Rodriguez instead of Reed Richards. And I'm saying that because I'm Latino. So am I making fun of it? Is that racist joke? I don't know. I'm trying not to be trying to be whatever. So we'll see. I just I hope for the best. Um, Res or Resident Ant Man. I'm not going to Resident Evil yet. Ant Man Four is apparently already under discussion, so that's that's cool. Um, I guess good things are are maybe. I haven't heard any of the early buzz yet. I know the premiere has been out. I think people are excited. People are talking about Jonathan Majors, so we'll see. Um, Resident Evil. There is a trailer. There's going to be another CG movie, which I, I enjoy those. I, I recommend you watch those. Uh, it's called Death Island. They're going to Alcatraz. And it looks like it's going to have Leon Kennedy and Chris Redfield in there. And, you know, it's just a teaser trailer was released for, for that. Uh, looks like Jill Valentine as well. So, hey, bring the gang all back. Uh, almost like a, they do a good job with, with, with these CG movies. It almost looks like the video game. And uh, but the original stories. So since we can't get live action done properly, even though I was okay with what we've had lately, but it's not up to me. Um, John Leguizamo was almost the vulture, I guess, in Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that maybe that could have been fine, but it just seemed like what what's happening with vulture now because you know vulture and morbius were supposed to team up that that i don't think that's happening who who knows I, I don't know and then the last bit of news which is a kind of bummer i i just um i missed out when this this first came out lee motor uh the co-creator of star girl he passed away he's 53 um great comic artist and it's it's sad. Uh, I, I guess because I'm I'm not really on Twitter as much as I used to be, and and part of it is because you know I'm teaching during the day, and then I'm usually watching TV or movies at night, and I'm you know reading comics, so I, I don't have time to sit on Twitter as as much. Um, but you know, it's, it's condolences to his family, and his friends. Uh, it's 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 unfortunate. I mean, fifty three. What the heck? So oh, that's that's gonna, that's going to be it. We're going to end the, the news on, on that that po that point. Just you know, appreciate the people around you. You know, you, you never know. So just uh, take care. <laughs> take spend appreciate the time you have. Take advantage of it. And uh, that's going to be news for the week. Right with comics at Image. There's Bloodstained Teeth number nine. I yeah I, I support this this series. You know I, I'm on board with it. You know I I, I like the concept the idea. 
of the you know, fact that you have vampires that can turn other people into vampires. And, you know, so you have your, your firstborn vampires and you have your whatever, I forget what they're called, the Sips, the secondary ones. Are, and basically, like, the, the firstborn, they're like, there's this dude who's been basically turning people into vampires and charging them for it, you know, making a profit off of it, which is not okay, I guess. So word finally, I, maybe it was enough, it was enough, but then the higher-ups, the firstborn or whoever, the ruling council, they're like, hey, dude, this is not okay. You need to go and take care of every single person that you've turned into a vampire or we're going to kill you. And when we kill you, it is going to be like horrific. So he's going around trying to track down everyone and he's not in the most stable condition because I, I don't know if I missed something, but he's, he's like talking to this one dude who's not really there. And he's, it's kind of, he's acting like he's conscious. And, and so it's, it's interesting as he goes after everyone and because they're vampires, you know, even though he turned them into vampires, they're still pretty powerful in, in their own right. So, you know, he's trying to deal with all that. And, uh, um, but but the thing is, I guess where I'm getting at is, is we're at issue nine now, and I I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm I'm kind of waiting like where does how long is this going to go, and uh, you know because it's it's almost at a point where because this guy's not the most reliable or whatever it it's it's not the most upbeat upbeat book which you know it doesn't have to be or anything like that but it's just like man it's like how long is this going to go on type of thing so I enjoy it but. Yeah, so the last couple issues I've been a little... Mm. Uh, and then we have Little Monsters, issue 10, which is another vampire book, but this is totally different. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's just a whole different vibe. And this always kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. You know, I really it's it's uh, Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. You know, so I, I love their work. And uh, it mainly focuses around these kids who are vampires. And it's like in this post-apocalyptic future type of thing where there's not really many people around. So these kids have been vampires and just hanging out by themselves because the elders, the adults, whatever, left them. They're like, we'll be back. And they're just like hanging out, playing at night, sleeping during the day. But then they come across this human, you know, a couple of them come across. And then they kind of get a taste for him. And so now then there's this, this girl, I think it was like the, the, the guy's daughter or something like that. So some of the other vampires trying to protect her and the other vampires like, you need to turn this over. Cause now that they got the taste, they, they just want to eat her too. Cause they, no one told them what it was like. They didn't realize that there's like such a rush, you know, it's different from eating animal blood, I guess. So there's a, kind of this tension uh, between the, the, the two groups now. And what we've been seeing in the last few issues is kind of like some flashback, like the early days of like some of the kids, like when they were first turned and all that. So it's, it's really cool to get the backstory with all that. But with this last issue, we find out about Romy and uh, it's kind of like a, a pretty big bombshell. Maybe is there's a reason that the adults didn't want the kids to have human blood. So the thing is, like, you know, once you do feast on human blood, it kind of changes things. And uh, so that kind of comes out now. And, and the other ones, the other kids don't know about this yet. So it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting. Then there's Monarch number one. Um, I'm, I'm curious about, about this comic. So it's a new tale of terror and high-stakes science fiction uh, hits close to home. Growing up in the city of Compton is tough enough as it is, but as... Traven has learned all too well, 
Growing up as an orphan in the city of Compton with gang members hunting you down every day is even tougher. But all that is about to change because today is the day that aliens make first contact with Earth and it only spells doom for life as we know it. Death, devastation, and mayhem can a single teenage boy rise to the challenge to protect its, his surrogate family and friends or will he die trying? So this is from Rodney Barnes, the, uh, the star comics writer behind the Eisner nominated series Kill Adelphia and the writer executive producer of HBO's Winning Time and up-and-coming Marvel artist Alex Linz comes tale of triumph, disaster, and defeat. So the, the first issue, you know, we, we get introduced, we see this kid, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's tough life and everything. You know, you, you got to feel for it, you know, if you got to appreciate what you have type of thing. And... You know, this poor kid, he's, he, there's this bully that's like trying to come after him and everything like that just for, for no particular reason. And I can't even imagine what that would be like. But then with these aliens coming, so it's like, what does that mean? And so it's it's weird because just a, it's almost like different genres combining, which makes it cool, makes it you know feel a little, little different. But it's just is one of those things also. It's like, it's like well, where is this going to go? It's like, I, I have no idea. And that's what makes it interesting and intriguing so um you know you, you might want to check that out um i can't say you know just based off the first issue i wasn't like oh my gosh this is your best thing but i am curious about it so we'll, we'll see where it goes okay at dc we had monkey prince 11 i don't know how i missed it i must have known it but but this is a i think this is a 12 issue series because it, it, it says limited series on a cover um here Basically, we we finally see the monk, the Monkey King, uh, and uh, you know the whole thing with Marcus Monkey Prince. It's like, is this his dad or not? Like, what's going on? And and his, he's in the I don't think this is a spoiler, but he's in the Phantom Zone, and you know, he's he's there for a particular reason. And uh, what does this mean? And um, it's, it's there's also that the thing is where we see like. His adoptive parents, if, if they that's who they are, uh, we, we see like some flashbacks, like when things first started, like if, if there are they Marcus's parents or not, how if he's adopted, how do they get him and what does this mean? And if he's really the Monkey King's son, what what's going on? So we get some, some more stuff here. And then the, plus the fact that we have ultra humanite makes it, I think, makes it interesting. Um, and then there's a. Lazarus Planet Next Evolution. Um, so th this was okay. So we we have this is one of those like 40, 50 page comics, and you know we, we have different stories. We have one uh, story with uh, Jason Todd, and you know he's he's doing. I, I don't. I, I feel like Jason Todd is kind of like all over the place lately, and I'm just trying to figure out like where exactly he's at he comes across a couple new characters or a few new characters and we're going to see more about them the vigil so some of these comics these stories i feel like they're just like introducing new characters and we're going to see them down the road i don't know how i feel about that i mean there, there's nothing wrong with creating new characters but it almost feels like that they're just using this to create more characters to try to f add to their whatever their French or database I don't know. but then we have a, a story with flatline which um something with this something kind of big happens you know she's she has a run-in with ubu um but then something else happens and uh it, it seems weird that this is where it would happen 
because I feel like this issue here, because there's all these like random kind of like uh, one shot books, you know, whatever that it's, it's easy to just get lost in a shuffle. And um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of, kind of crazy. Then there's a um, Amanda Waller and oh, I forget this, this guy's name. Uh, Dead eye. Um, I kind of skimmed through this because I don't really care. I don't really know much about that. I don't care about that. I so I didn't read that. And then there's a red canary story. I'm in, interested in, in red canary. I don't, I, this is another thing is like, did we need this character? But you know, do we need any characters or whatever? But um, I'm, I'm curious to see where she's going to go. There is a, a sideways pops up in there in here. So I, that's great because I, I liked sideways. Um, so yeah, nothing except for the, the flatline story. It was just, it was an okay issue. Uh, then there's, uh, Gotham city year one. I got to the point now where I'm just like, I don't know if I can read this because I, I don't, I'm just confused with the point of this. And I, I know it's, it's a story, but my thing was, is it a continuity or not? Cause it can't be, you know, when we have these different characters in, in Gotham, it's just to me it's a little confusing and if it's if it's just meant to be like an elseworld story that's fine but when we have like the waynes in here and i don't remember if it was thomas wayne i think it was but then they had a daughter and it's like maybe it's not thomas wayne but yeah i i just i'm starting to lose interest in, in that and it's unfortunate i i don't want that to be because i like phil hester's art then we have Joker, the man who stopped laughing, issue five. This is uh, just weird because we have the Joker in here, and then he's claiming that there's an imposter doing stuff, stuff like posing as him. But then it's like, is is he the imposter? Is he the real one? And, and then we actually have a run in between the two, and it, it still is like, okay, who who's who's really the Joker and everything. Then we have another backup story, like the Joker looking for love. These these uh, Matthew Rosenberry and Francesco Francovia, they've just been so wacky. And I don't know, I, I, I kind of love them. They're just so weird. The Flash 792, more with the Minute War or whatever that's called. And uh, yeah, I don't know. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm just okay with this storyline. I just... It's, I'm not super excited for it, but it's fine. Uh, Poison Ivy, issue nine. This was all right. Uh, Poison Ivy is in, is she in Seattle now? And uh, she's staying at someone's house. I, I, I must not have, maybe I didn't read the last issue because I was like, who is she staying with? And then Harley shows up. And uh, so, you know, they, they have this, they hang out, they go to dinner, they do other things. And so it was, it was nice to see them together. But then Harley leaves at the end. She's like, well, I'm going back to Gotham. She's like, if you want to come back. And she's like, I can't go yet. Or, so we'll see. Uh, and then Batman and Joker, Deadly Duo, issue four. Uh, just Mark Silvestri's art is just just, just great. Um, it's, it's fun seeing, you know, Batman and Joker forced to work together. Uh, it's it's a I'm I'm intrigued. It's a storyline, and you know, and we're, there's some stuff like a little side story with Harley in there. So um, it's it I I guess I I I'm still enjoying this. I'm still digging it, and I like how that just the tension between like the police department and Batman. You know, you got Commissioner Gordon there, but then there's you know you got this one 
dude who's just you know, wants to do his own thing and he's part of like the tactical squad or whatever so, so some some cool stuff there and then batman 132 so batman somehow ended up in this alternate earth universe so here batman died you know there's no batman and things are just like all flipped upside down and you know it's kind of like a police state and he's, he's trying to figure out what can he do and he decides to he's going to try to crash this party so he's like well i can pose as like a, a, a playboy but then selena's there so it's like oh crap and then she's recognizing him right away she's like you're not supposed to be here he's, he's not even supposed to be alive and so it there's interesting stuff here um but then we have like tim drake he's because you know he's like i know he's he can't be dead you know bruce wayne you know bruce is still alive got to figure out wh where he's at and and stuff like that but it's just, it's weird. It's awesome that we have Tim here, but he just feels like a completely, absolutely 100% different character than the Tim Drake we're getting in a Tim Drake comic. Because here, he seems like more together, like more mature, more with it. In the Tim Drake comic, he's it's almost like he's bumbling around. You know, he, he's living on his own on a houseboat of all places. But it's also, he seems like very anti wanting Bruce's help or working with him. But here, you know, obviously they're working together before he disappeared. So it's, uh, it's just, it drives me nuts when just, it, it feels like there's not you know, a lot of continuity, even though, you know, maybe there is. And it, it doesn't have to be side by side, but it's just, I feel like the character is being portrayed differently. You know, just his, um, just his like, attitude and everything like that and his confidence. I don't know. Um, over at Marvel, um, I kind of wish I was reading Alien comics, but I'm just, I, I yeah, I'm not. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 19. Um, thank goodness, Dark Web is over. But ugh, I, I, I need to do an off my mind talk about that at some point about Ben Riley. Uh, so here, basically, Peter and Black Cat, they're gonna go. They're gonna go on vacation. Uh, you know, because he's, he's been working so hard. She convinces him to to go which which is nice uh but of course things get turned all, all kind of wacky there is one thing that ha that happened in this issue so in the beginning you know when you got the credits page they kind of did a little recap you know first they do like the regular character recap spider-man was written by bitten by radioactive blood with great power you know all that stuff and then they do like the the last few issue recap one of the things that they mention here i don't think that i mean this can't be a spoiler if it's in a recap page and I'm just like, what the heck? It mentions, you know, because from this volume and a previous one, there's like this six-month gap. Something crazy happened. A lot of people got angry at Peter. He made some huge mistake, whatever. People are, are out, you know, they don't want anything to do with them and everything. And then we find out, like, Mary Jane, she's with this dude, Paul. There's a couple kids in the picture. And then I'm like, why are they calling her mom? And I was like, if, if she, she started dating this dude within... You know, they Peter and Mary Jane break up. She start, somehow starts dating this other guy like right away, and then they end up. To, then she moves in with them, and then the kids are calling her mom already, all within six months. But in this issue, in the recap thing, it mentions that Mary Jane is married. I, I am so incredibly confused, and. It's one thing if if you're like okay we're gonna go we're gonna jump forward six months and then, you know we're gonna tease things and but the fact that we're at issue nineteen now and we're we're no closer really to finding out what the heck happened in those six months 
it makes me feel, and this is just a personal opinion, it makes me feel like they have no idea what happened. They're just like, um, let's just, we'll deal with it later. Let's just jump forward and we'll, we'll go there. I'm, I'm sure that's not the case, but that's just how it feels to me. But just a fact, it's like, so somehow it's some sort of time jump alter. How can she be suddenly married? And I don't know. And it's also the fact is, uh, the other thing, and this is supposed to take place, the story takes place after the Mary Jane and, and Black Cat miniseries, which is weird because, yeah, that that's still going and they're probably still in, in limbo or whatever. But with that, in that issue, Mary Jane had superpowers and uh, it was like, what? So I don't know if, if that's going to get addressed there. There's no mention of it here. I don't know. I don't know. Um, there's Avengers War Across Time. So this is Paul Levitz and Alan Davis. So um, <laughs> the thing I didn't like about this is there's this dude they end up fighting. I forgot the, the guy's name. The, uh, the troll who worked on Mjolnir. I don't know if he's the troll who forged it. But basically, the Fantastic Four are like, we got to stop King. Or not Fantastic Four. Avengers like, we got to stop King. So let's go to the Baxter building. And you know Willie Lumpkin's delivering mail. But they're like, oh, the, the Fantastic Four just stepped out. So they're going to break in. And Reed's like, I can hijack, you know, whatever, hack, hack into the elevator system. They go there and, you know, there's security precautions. They get get attacked and everything. But then it's like, we're going to use a time platform. So, you know, they just like, they're not here. So first of all, the, the fact that they just help themselves in, they just break in there. And, you know, there's all these all, all security systems. They just bust through there. And then it's like, we're just going to use a time platform. <laughs> you know, it's like, you can't just mess with time. Uh, and, and then, you know, they, I, I think they, I trying to remember, they, they couldn't really figure it out, but then they accidentally hit something or kind of willy put some mail stuff down. It, it gets triggered, and then the, the troll gets called in her. And then he assumes that Thor must have brought him there to this planet, and he starts attacking, and it's just... But it's Alan Davis's art. And and I, I think part of the, my problem is because of this troll, and I don't really like, like hardcore Asgard stuff. It's just, eh. So this, this pesky troll, whatever. Um, then there's a Captain America symbol of truth issue 10. I didn't love this issue. Um, so we, we have this other Falcon dude. What's, what's his name? And he's like change and he's like fighting Sam Wilson. My problem is it's when I, I feel like this is just so tired when we get hero fighting hero for whatever reason, you know, there's something happens miscommunication and, and they just start fighting so we're, we're getting that and you know so it's like sam and uh the new nomad now you know they're, they're fighting against um joaquin that's his name and uh, it's like what the heck happened to joaquin and i don't know uh daredevil issue eight i'm i'm enjoying this but you know and we have daredevil <laughs> versus uh frank castle 
But I, I, part of me kind of feels like not a whole lot happens in this issue. I feel like this has just been going on for so long. You know, we're at issue eight here. You know, we got all this stuff in the Punisher's series. And, you know, they just all this talk about, you know, fighting the hand and everything. But it's like I, the times they, they kind of run into each other, but it's still, it doesn't really go anywhere. I don't know. Uh, Cold Goblin issue four. Oh, this... I, I'm okay with Norman Osborn trying to make amends. You know, I, I think it's kind of fascinating. You know, Norman is like the most despicable like character. You know, he killed Gwen Stacy. You know, he's a horrible person. He's had his sins washed away, taken you know from Sin Eater, and you know he's trying to do the right thing. And you know, he tells Peter, you know, you're working at Osborn. It's like I'm, you know, I trust you. You can do what you want. You don't even have to run ideas by me. Just do do what the, you're doing the, the right thing. Just, you know, make it happen. Um, but then there's this goblin nation that's obsessed with Norman. And and there's someone someone that's in charge. Almost, I, was, I, was, I forgot who it was. They reveal who's, like, leading this new goblin nation at the end. And uh, I will not spoil that, but... Uh, that last page was like kind of like a holy crap like what the heck happened and where is this going to go so i i'm kind of conflicted with how i feel so it's someone from the Sp spider-man past you know an adjacent story someone who has a grudge against norman it's like who the heck could it be and just w the state of this character that's what kind of bothers me because i don't want to see the character like this but it can make things interesting. So I don't know. That's going to be weird. Joe Fixit, number two. I'm not super excited about this, this, the concept here. It's like these, you know, these issues that we get where it revisits moments in the past. Okay, fine. That's you know, whatever. This is a fun story. I, I do like the fact, you know, seeing Joe back, you know, Hulk as a, as a bouncer, as a hitman, or like as a bodyguard in Vegas. And, it's weird that Spider-Man is here spending so much time there. Uh, and then, but what's nice is the Kingpin's there and it's having some run in against Joe. It's like Kingpin, dude, you're trying to go up against the Hulk, whether you know it's a Hulk or not. And you know, he, he kind of, kind of got put in his place, but does he have something up his sleeve? We'll see. Oh, I didn't read moon girl and devil dinosaur, but the, I did. <laughs> I did read Fred Goblin number one. Oh my God, what is going on here? I oh. <laughs> so we have Normie Osborne. He has a piece of of the symbiote, the red symbiote from Venom, with stuff from Dark Web or whatever, and. Uh, He's trying to deal with this symbiote. You know, he hasn't bonded with it, so it doesn't really listen to him. So, you know, he's kind of getting some trouble. He can't really control it. Uh, but, yeah, it's just crazy. Now I'm getting the two mixed up. Um, this issue and gold, uh, Golden Guy. Maybe this, was this the one where we have the Goblin Nation? No, I don't think that was this one. Maybe it was. Maybe this is one where the last page we get something crazy. I'm... I'm losing track now but uh, just uh, I, I don't want another symbiote i'm so done with symbiotes yeah I, I can handle venom 
I hate Carnage. I don't like all these other, uh, I can't even, I don't even know their names. So, I don't know. Secret Invasion issue four. This is getting nuts, this this series. Like, oh my, my gosh. So, you know, Maria Hills knows that there's a scroll invasion going on and, and you know, they're, they're trying to, that the fact that it's like, how do you, how do you protect against it? Because, you know, they're, they're like, well, we're, we just do blood tests all the time. But then they found out that uh, you could just, you know, a scroll can have blood packets of the actual person hidden under their skin in different areas. So it's like, depending, unless you're going to randomly say, I'm going to take a blood sample from your left calf, now from your right forearm, you know, and can they shift things? Probably not that quickly. And, uh, but then you had what, what really bothers me about this issue. So there are a couple of things kind of, you know, Maria Hills being hardcore, which I guess she, she should be because, you know, it's for, for the sake of the, the planet. She finds out that Tony Stark is working with some scrolls, some scroll defectors or whatever. You know, they're, they're working with humans. They're, they're against the regular scroll agenda and all that. Maria Hill just goes off and just like starts shooting at him. And, and Tony like flips out. He's like, they were innocent and all this stuff like that. And then he decides to go after Maria. It's like Maria's working for the CIA. So basically, Tony has taken upon himself to go after the government because he, he feels that he can make these decisions on it. So it's like this big like battle and everything like that. And it's just like, I feel like he's so out of line. Maybe Maria Hill was a little out of line, but it, she has at least more authority uh, I, I don't know. I just I feel like Tony Stark was just way out of line with what what he's doing. Um, then we have Star Wars Darth Vader issue eleven. So more stuff with uh, with the 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 handmaidens, Padme's handmaidens. I'm really enjoying this. You know that that we have Sabe and you know the other ones and um, you know they're because Sabe is like working with Vader now and the other is, is she really, or is she just playing him? And then the other is like, we have to save her because, you know, she's being forced to do stuff, but it's like, is she really, is she not? Is she still? So it's just, it's really interesting. I, I think. And then, uh, there was storm in the, the brotherhood. I didn't read this, uh, the brotherhood of mutants. This is uh, one of the sinister books. So it's supposed to be like 10 years from now and everything. I just I don't do not care. I'm I'm not looking. I don't need an a, a supposed. This almost feels like the five years from now, the DC thing, where it's like here's these stories that may happen, but you know they're never going to happen. Um, if I had more time and if I found it, the story really interesting, then I'd be like, oh yeah, let's let's check out this imaginary or this what ifs tale, but nothing here is really like pulling me in and it's just like and i think it's because i just i don't like mr sinister and i feel like he's more of a goof than like a threat even though the stuff he's been doing has been crazy i just i i don't don't really care and then uh i, I was trying i was going to read x-men legends issue six um was there this wasn't the one uh where was I wonder if Bishop I read her story with Bishop and he was a oh that was it Bishop's War College I'll I'll come back to that so uh, X Men Legends issue six um, I, I I'm curious I, I but it it goes back to you know we're supposed to find out more about Bishop and and Fitzroy and uh, his his uh, what's my, his two friends 
but I just, I don't know. It didn't really grab my attention. So it's something I feel I haven't been reading the, the, the X-Men legends issues lately. And I feel like it's something I I'm saying this and I know it's probably not going to happen, but maybe it's, it's something I'll circle back around later. I, I think for me, it's mainly because of the time. And while, you know, that the first ones, the first few that I read were really cool. I just feel like, you know, some of them are like, you know, the missing Summers brothers. So I, I felt that was important, you know, something that we've been wondering forever. But then some of these other ones, I was like, how crucial are they? And and it's always cool to go back. And especially if the creators are getting to tell stories that they weren't able to tell the first time around, you know, something got cut or changed or whatever. But I, I think because Bishop's not my favorite character, I'm just like, I'm curious about that that era in the comics when Bishop first came and, you know, but I feel like we've seen so many of the stories too, you know, like he's so angry, you know, the the fight that they're doing and the sacrifices and, you know, being hunted all the time and getting forced to have the tattoo, you know, I don't know. But then going along with that, we had Bishop War College and he's, you know, just trying to train mutants and everything but he's being like super hardcore and it's getting to points where like the the mutants that he's training they're like like dude i mean this sucks it's like forget it i i quit and you know you can't do that and and yeah he's he knows how dire how horrible things can be but you gotta you gotta work with you know you you can't just force and expect someone to, you know, oh, it's for your your own good type of thing. Like that's not going to fly with with anyone. So you know, there, there's a little bit of that going on. But then you know, he kind of sees the light, and then of course, you know, things go sideways. You know, just when it looks like you know things are starting to get figured out. So uh, you know, I, I I was fine with this. I was a little more interested in, in that than the the X Men Legends, obviously. But I'm I, I think part of it is, is just oh you I guess I don't know if it's a spoiler but you had Fenris I, I can't stand Andreas and uh what's her name the Strucker twins it's like get go away and and I'm just I don't know I'm, I'm I like the idea of Krakoa I, I feel like at some point you know all this is just going to go away I don't want it to go away, but I'm I'm just I feel like there's just so many X Men comics, and it's just it's just overwhelming. And some of them are really great, and some of them they're just not doing it for me personally. But that's it. That's gonna that's gonna be comics for, for the week. Okay, Servant season four, episode four. Boo! So it's Halloween. Kids are, it's, this is crazy. There's so much kids causing mischief in the street. There's like toilet paper. You see a kid like smashing pumpkins. There's toilet paper on the cars and everything like that. Leanne's in the window. And then she's like talking. She's like, were you ever afraid of yourself, mother? I am. And she's talking to her mannequin. So it's like, uh, that's not a good sign. And she's like, I've been having these dreams. There was this black shadow moving through the house. Somehow I know that it's me. I hurt people when I get angry. Maybe I got that from you. The scariest part is that I'm starting to like the way it feels. Actually, I love it. And then she like laughs. So it's like, I don't know if if just everything is getting to Leanne. And she's got all this pressure. She, pressure. she knows that the cult is coming after her. She's like super paranoid. And I mean, they did attack her in the, in the streets, you know, so that that's legit. But now with the way she treated the, the two in live-in nurses, whatever. So I don't know. 
we see this old uh, Dorothy news report, so Halloween, you know, candy with no wraps might be a trap. So Dor- Dorothy's watching her old videos, which seems a little vain. I don't know. But I, I, I guess maybe I get it. She's sad that, you know, she can't do that anymore. And Sean comes in while she's watching and he's like, they used to call you the, the queen of Halloween. And she's like, yeah, but things have changed. He's like, oh, they're no different than they once were. And she just like closes her eyes. So it's like, oh boy, she's just going to rip into him again. But then she's like, Sean, we don't have to lie to each other. We've both made choices. I'm not the same person I was. Neither are you. He brings her some food and he just like sets it down. And then, you know, he starts walking out. Then she actually, she's like, thank you for lunch. But he just like walks out. Leanne finds Bev and Bobby in, in the attic. And she's like, what are you doing? So they're looking for like last minute costume for Jericho and they're going through a bunch of stuff. And like, there's like, they're holding a theater mask or something like that. Leanne's like, those belong to Dorothy's mothers and they're not for you to touch. But Bev's like, are you dressing up tonight? They don't, don't even address to her question. They ask her if she's dressing up. And Leanne's like, no. She's like, Halloween is for children. Bobby's like, oh, we beg to differ. He's like, me and my friends, we used to go wild. And Leanne's like, what do you mean? She's like, Halloween is a space to embrace your fears, indulge your darkest fantasies. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Wink. And then Bev's like, <laughs> it's, it's like these two ladies are so weird. I don't, I, I, I can't figure them out. Then we see Julian. He's like cursing. He's, he's at his car. He's like trying to wipe off. Like <laughs> someone drew like a picture of a rocket, a uh, rocket ship <laughs> with shaving cream on the windshield of his car. If you know what I mean. And, you know, he's like trying to wipe with like, toilet paper that's draped all over it whatever he walks in complaining he's like oh, i hate this holidays you know just encourages the kids to be mischievous and blah 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 I was like that sean is like starting to decorate place so he figures maybe it'd make dorothy happy since she can't do that anymore and she used to you know just really love it julian says he's like oh you mean it might make her like you he's like it's a lost cause as long as we're team leanne dorothy won't have anything to do with us and sean's like i'm not team leanne and, and julian's like are you sure about that so he's like, she seemed to make everything work out for you. She's like, I've made peace with how things are. You should too. So then Bev and Bobby show Jericho to Dorothy. She has like an orange shirt on, like this pumpkin knitted cap or something like that. And, you know, Leanne, or Dorothy's looking and she's like, oh, he's adorable. And Bev's like, oh, you can say it. it's awful. Then Dorothy's like, well, she kind of admits it is. She's like, well, it's not your fault. And she's like, I should have gotten him a costume earlier. So they're like, well, there must be something better around here. What'd you dress him up as last year? Maybe we can use a piece of his old costume. Dorothy's like thinking about it. Then she's like, I'm not sure. She's like, I can't remember. So Sean just puts this big spider up on like plastic spider on the side of the house and texts a picture to Dorothy. She replies. She's like, more spiders, more blood. So then this man with his kid walking down the sidewalk recognized Sean. They're like, hey, Sean, we're big fans. And, you know, he's just like, hey, thanks, whatever. Then Sean looks up and sees Leanne in the window and, like, in the shadows. And then someone else is like, love your show, Sean. So it's like, okay. Then we see Leanne sitting at the computer. She's looking at the camera feeds. She zooms in on one one dude. I don't know if he's, like, moving into a place, you know, next door or whatever because you see, like, a for sale sign. And, and she has a big dagger in her lap. So, again, she's this isn't good for her leanne goes to the homeless camp she has a box like full of the costume and everything she's like they belong to dorothy's mother so i'll need them back she wants them the all these the camp kids in the street tonight just in case she's like they're coming for me they've infiltrated the neighborhood and i think they've even bought one of the houses so tonight i'm going hunting 
she says that they're they're very good at hiding who they are, but if she gets close enough, they always reveal themselves. So tonight, they get to hide who they are too. We see Dorothy, she's reading something while the news is on. Bobby wheels in Jericho in this like lobster costume and the stroller is kind of like designed to look like a boiling pot with like, you know, fake bubbles and stuff like that. They're like, oh, it was Sean's idea. Then nosy Bev asks Dorothy, what do you have? You know, like, what is she looking at, whatever? And she kind of like moves it towards her chest. She's like, oh, it's nothing. Bobby's like, got a little secret, have you? Spill. And it's like, what the, are you serious? It's like, this is so out of line. And they've been there. How long have they been there? And they're like trying to, Bev's like, come on, tell us. We won't tell. (laughs) After a few seconds, Dorothy says, she's like, what kind of mother can't remember her child's first costume? It's like, this isn't the only time something like this has happened. It's like, there's all this missing time, like this whole period of my life that I just can't remember, no matter how hard I try. And she says, like, it hurts her brains to think about it. She can't imagine that this is normal. So I'm wondering if this is because Jericho was dead. I, I think, it, I'm pretty sure they mentioned that he died in August. You know, it was in the summer when she left him in the car. So it's like, how long was she like in denial? How long until they got a doll? How long after they got the doll until they hired Leanne? So it's possible, you know, that Jericho was gone during his first Halloween. So that's why there's no costume for it because either she was just catatonic or whatever, or they got the living doll and she was just, you know, whatever. So I, I don't know. Bobby says that the brain can't hold every memory. Sometimes you just lose things as you get older. And Bev says that it's probably, you know, just aging or, or something or whatever. Then Dorothy's like, no, it's something else. You know, and then Sean comes in in a chef costume with a fake mustache. He's like, it's time. He tells Dorothy that he'll keep her on FaceTime so it'll feel like she's right there with them. And she thanks him. There's a lot of people in the street. And you see this, someone dressed like in a ghost sheet is just like staring from across the street. So it's like, hmm. Is this like, is that someone really staring or is it just to trick us? Leanne then is like dancing slowly in her, her room. And then she starts putting on lipstick in the bathroom and she starts doing her hair. So it's like, that is, is very not Leanne. Although she did do dancing before with Dorothy, but it just seemed a little weird. Sean calls Dorothy and she thanks him again. And he's, he sees a ghost across the street, just like staring but it it does like the the Jason Bourne disappear. I, I always refer to a Jason as a Jason Bourne thing, but it was it's like where just someone standing there, then a sudden like people walk by and a person's gone, <laughs> and it's like where, how do you disappear that fast? Dorothy's like, what's wrong? He's like, oh nothing. He's like, I thought I recognized someone. Leanne walks down to the living room. Julian's there. He's like, whoa, what are you? She's like, I'm a doll. So she has like kind of like a corset on, and she's got like kind of like I mean, I, I thick line, you know, eyeshadow or whatever. She says she's going out tonight. He's like, well, Sean took Jericho trick-or-treating, and he left me to man the door. He's like, I couldn't come with you after. She's like, that won't be necessary. He says that she shouldn't be alone, and she's like, I'll be fine. He doesn't, uh, she's like, you know, he doesn't need to be afraid for her anymore. She knows what she's doing. The doorbell rings, and there's kids. Then, like, they give some candy. Rings again, and then Leanne pulls a kid in. And she's like, if you eat too much candy, you'll turn into a fat little worm. Nobody, then nobody will love you. And you hear a voice like, hey, look, oh, my kid. The kid runs out. <laughs> Julian apologizes. He's like, oh, she's a theater major. And then, you know, after he closes the door, he goes laying. He's like, what the fudge is wrong with you? And she's like, what? Halloween is all about scaring people. And Julian's like, yeah, in a PG way. Then he's like, oh, look, now I'm out of candy. So he goes into the kitchen, gets some more candy, I guess. The doorbell rings again. And there's someone in a skeleton mask. And she grabs a dagger and she opens the door 
And the, the skeleton's like, you look fudging amazing. And she's like, what? It's Toby. He, he, he asks if, if she made the costume, and she's like, kind of. He's like, oh, it's impressive. She just like pushes past him and says that you know she has things to do. He starts following her, and he says that he's headed in that direction too. She says that you know she really needs to be on her own tonight, and he's like, well, how would I suggest you know that we just walk? I just walk beside you, and that we're alone together. And she's like, okay, but just for a little. And then he actually takes her hand, and she's like, we should start at that one. They're new. So doorway's kind of decorated. She knocks. Two women answer, and she's like, trick or treat. You're new, aren't you? They're like, uh, yeah, we are. She's like, aren't you a little old for this? The other one's like, whatever, just hands them some candy. Then Leanne's like, is that really all you have to say to me? And one was like, I'm sorry. And she like, kind of like looks inside and then they just like close the door. So Leanne tells Toby, she's like, go to your party. It's like, there are things that I need to do and I can't when you're around. And she starts walking off. He's like, wait, she turns and just like leaves. But then when he, he goes one way, this other person coincidentally in a similar costume, like a black hood with a skeleton mask, starts following Leanne. So it's just like, it's, it's a bit of a stretch. If this is someone from the cult, maybe it's not. So they, they start following her. She looks back and she's like, leave me alone, Toby. But it's not Toby. She goes to this other place, the one where the man that she watched through the camera, he's, you know, he's handing out candy. And she just like walks right in. He like turns, he's like, hey. And she's like, I'm right here. Are you going to do something about it? And he's like, I'm sorry. It's like, do I know you? And she's like, why are you pretending? And then his dog starts barking. And he's like, oh, sorry, sweetie. He's like, I, th I think you have the wrong person. And he's like, take some candy. She just like walks past him, goes outside. And then some girls, I don't know if they're dressed as nuns or maybe they're supposed to be hot nuns or whatever. They kind of like laugh at her. She walks past him. So it's like, are they really laughing at her? They're probably not. Then, she, then she, the skeleton dude, she's like, go home, Toby, because he's following her, but it's not Toby. She goes across the street, and there's like this uh, doorway. It's kind of covered. It's supposed to be like a haunted doorway thing. You know, you go through this, whatever. And then the followers, like right there behind her, and they pull out a knife. She's like, you're not Toby. She kicks him. He like, you know, as she's on the stairs, kicks him down the stairs. The knife falls. And she starts kicking the person. She kicks the knife away and she grabs her arm. She puts it between the railing of the stairs. And she's like, I'm not afraid of you anymore. Snap, snaps the arm. And she takes off the mask. And he's like, get away. He's like, we were just trying to scare you. It was just a joke. Mom. He was like a kid. <laughs> so then he runs. She picks up the knife and it bends a little bit. It was a fake knife. So it's like some kid, but why would he target her in particular? So unless it was a kid in the neighborhood and he's seen her, so he recognized her as the nanny that, that lives at that house. But <laughs> And it was like a nasty snap of the arm, like bone like popping out of the skin. It was gross. And uh, it, if he recognized her, then it that's going to be a problem. But you shouldn't sneak up on people, I guess. I don't know. Lesson learned, little punk. <laughs> then Sean stands at the, he's, he's back. He must he'd be done trick or treating. He's at the, the landing the, where the railing fell because it, it's like not painted yet, you know, and he's just like kind of touching it. And then he, and he looks down and sees like how far Dorothy fell or whatever. The doorbell rings. Leanne, meanwhile, is outside. She's still continuing down the street. Lots of people. Uh, the whoever's this ghost person is in the sheet is still like hiding around the corner at the homeless camp. Everyone's like dancing around. Then Roscoe stands there and he's just like looking at them. Leanne is still walking around. This little girl yells boo. And then Leanne stops 
and like turns around and says, that was very scary. Then she's like, do you think I'm scary? The girl just kind of shrugs and she bends over a little closer. She's like, what about now? And then right when she says that this like big electrical cable snaps and the sparks and the lights in the streets go out and everything like that. The cables is sparking. People start like yelling and screaming. And meanwhile, like Jericho starts, starts crying and Leanne smiles as the cable like sparks behind her. So we have to assume that she caused that to happen because you know, she's got whatever these powers. Roscoe, we see him, he's, he's looking around, then he sees a ghost. He walks up to it and like pulls off the sheet. And it's that Uncle George dude from the cult. And he's like, her ideas are spreading to others. She's even attacking children, poor little lambs. I worry we waited too long to stop her. And Roscoe's like, you mean what we're trying to do? It might not work? And George's like, it has to work. We cannot fail. Roscoe's like, you know, I have kids. If she finds out and comes after me, George says, if she wins, there will be no world for your children. Chaos accelerates. The city will fall. And that's only the beginning. We need you. You've kept us close to the family, and they're the only way we can reach her. Fear not certain pieces are already in place, and if I'm not mistaken, even the Turners will be ready to help us. So now things are getting a little confusing, because Roscoe, he got kidnapped by the cult, and he was, like, freaked out, and then he, they got him back, and then he was like, I'm on your side. And then he was like actually helping Leanne and everything. But now we're finding out that that's not really the case, that he is working with the cult people. And now Uncle George is making it sound like maybe there's something wrong with Leanne, even though she is supposed to be good. But they're trying to hunt her and hurt her. So it's like she's being defensive. But is she really being defensive? So what the heck is going on? You know, she brought Jericho back to life somehow. And she's supposed to be like healing people, you know, because she was with this other family. But she can also cause really bad things to happen. So it's like, is she like supposed to be like the devil or something? I, I don't know. Leanne returns home. She laughs. Sean's in the living room. And she's like, oh, you're awake. And, she, and she's like, I fudging love Halloween. And, and then she's looking. She's like, is there something you wanted to say to me? Because he's just like staring at her. He's like, I owe you everything. He's like, I know that. And I'm so grateful. But if it means losing my family, losing Dorothy, I don't want it. I'd give it all up. And Leanne's like, Sean, you've already made your choice. So be an adult and deal with the consequences. She just gets up and leaves the room. And he's just like, what? He's like confused. He goes to check on sleeping Dorothy. And he's like, I never meant to make a choice. He's like, I only did what I thought was best for you, for our family. So then she's like, she doesn't, she's kind of awake. She doesn't know what, what he's talking about. And he's like, I've lost you. He's like, I'm not okay with that. Julian's right. As long as she's in our house, you'll never forgive me. And then she's like, she whispers, she's like, what are you saying, Sean? He's like, I'm prepared to do, so now he's whispering too, I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to get rid of Leanne. I'm with you now. And then Dorothy just like looks at him. Oh boy. So uh, yeah, things are, um, you know, this is a fourth episode. So I, I forget if there's eight episodes or 10. So we're probably like maybe halfway through the season. Um I just really don't know what 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 to make of this because you know we we're supposed to believe that like Leanne was was good, you know we're supposed to be rooting for for Leanne, but now it just I don't know I feel like you know is a pressure just getting to her? Is she really evil or I don't know? So we'll have to see. So that was Servant this week. Okay, then with 
The Last of Us, Season 1, Episode 4, Please Hold On to My Hand. We see Ellie, she's standing in front of like some mirror in like a dingy bathroom. She's holding the gun out that, that she got from Frank and, Frank and Bill from, from their house. And she's like, pew, pew. And she like takes the bullets out, including like the one in the chamber. And, and she like aims some more. And then she's like, looks, she like, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of cute in a way. Cause she like looks with her left eye, then with her right eye, like trying to figure out like which eye was better or whatever squeezes the trigger click click and then she like even like sniffs it whatever and then she loads it back up and puts it back in her bag so they're at like some deserted gas station and they're like in the middle of nowhere joel is trying to like siphon gas out of like a line of cars and she's like do you have to do this every hour and he says well gas breaks down over time he's like this stuff is almost water he's like back in the day we drive 10 12 hours on one tank and she's like where would you go and he's like pretty much nowhere so then she's, she's, he's starting to siphon and, you know, she sees the gas coming out. She's like, how does that work? And he, he starts saying, he's like, well, it's like gravity and with the pressure. And, and, and she's like, you don't know, do you? He's like, well, I can't really explain it, but I know it works. And then, you know, she starts walking. He's like, no wandering. <laughs> so then she sets down her, her backpack and she takes something out. At first I was like, she's going to take the gun out and show him. But she's like, all right, this is your fault. And she's like, it doesn't matter how much you push the envelope. It's, it'll still be stationary. And she starts chuckling. So she has this book, No Pun Intended, Volume 2, T-O-O, by Will Livingston. And she's like, Volume 2, look, you get it? Two, like T-O-O. And she laughs. Joel just like frowns at her some more. And she's like, what did the mermaid wear to her math class? An algae bra. And she like laughs. And she's like, I stayed up all night. And he's like, no. And she's like, wondering where the sun went and then it dawned on me and he's like feel free to wait in the truck and she's like Ugh, okay but just know you can't escape will livingston he'll be back there's nothing you can do to stop him so then they drive off she's sitting in the back seat she's like digging around and stuff she finds a, a hank williams cassette she hands it to him she's like oh does this make you feel nostalgic he like looks at it he's like this is actually before my time he's like and she's like great he's like it's a winner though so he puts it on the song Alone in Forsaken Plays, and then she finds something else. She's like a magazine, and her eyes go wide when she opens it. So it's called Bear Skin, and she's like, uh, it's light on the reading, but it has some interesting pictures. And he like kind of looks in the, in the rear view mirror. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. He's like, put that back. That's not for kids. And she's like, oh, just hang on, because you know, she's in the back seat and everything. And she, she like opens the centerfold, and she's like, how would he even walk around with that thing? And he's like, please get rid of it. And she's like, hold your horses. So I want to see what all the fuss is about. And then she's like, uh, why are these pages stuck together? And he's like, uh, she's like, I'm just fudging with you. And then as the car is driving or the truck, she like tosses out the window. She's like, bye bye, dude. They drive by as down the road, the highway. There's like a herd of buffalo. There's this old amusement park. They drive over a bridge. And I don't know if we're supposed to recognize the bridge. I didn't recognize it. And there's like this field like full of army trucks and tanks and everything. At one point, then he, he finally decides that's enough driving for today. So he like drives off the road into his field, like towards a line of tree, drives into like, you know, the woods a little bit. They're cooking some food like on a propane tank, and she's like scarfing it down. He's like, "Slow down." She's like, "This is slow." Then she's like, "What? What am I even eating?" He's like, "That is twenty-year-old Chef Boy RD ravioli," and with her mouth full, she's like, "That guy was good." And Joe's like, "I actually agree." And then she's like, "How long are, are we staying out here?" 
So he figures that he'll sleep tonight and then drive tomorrow all day and all night. So that should get them to Wyoming by next morning. Then she asks if they can start a fire because she's freezing. And he's like, now, why am I going to tell you no? And she's like, because infected will see the smoke. He's like, no, fungus isn't that smart. This is too remote for infected anyways. And she's like, people? So what are they going to do? Rob us? And he's like, oh, they'll have way more in mind than that. And she's like, okay. So they roll out some sleeping bags. And she's like, oh, this smells kind of good. And Joel's like, that would be Frankston. So he cocks a rifle, lays it next to him. She pulls out her book and reads like with this little pen light for a bit. And she then she whispers. She's like, Joel, Joel. He's like, yeah. Can I ask you a serious question? Why did the scarecrow get an award? He like kind of rolls over and he looks at her because he was outstanding in his field. She laughs. She's like, you dick. She's like, did you read this? He's like, no, now go to sleep. And then she's just like laying there looking up. And then she's like, those people you said, there's no way they know we're here, right? No one's going to find us. He's like, no one's going to find us. She's like, okay. He like kind of looks off in the trees and he like looks at his rifle. Then later we see Joel standing there holding the rifle while she's sleeping. So then he's like, well, maybe someone might be coming. He boils some coffee on a propane tank. She gets up, you know, she's sleeping and she like sniffs it. She opens, she's like, ugh, WTF is that? He's like, you don't like coffee? And she just like lays down and rolls over. They drive off. He's drinking coffee out of a thermos. And she's like, is that seriously what those Starbucks and the QZ used to sell? And he's like, well, theirs was a lot fresher than what Bill saved up. But yeah, this is what they sold. She's like, it smells like burnt poop. And without looking at her, he just takes another drink, <sighs> surps loudly. Then he's like, eyes on the map. And she's like, okay, 76 West and 70 West for like ever. She's like, where in Wyoming did you say your brother was? And Joel's like, his last contact was through a radio tower close to Cody. So she looks on the map, she finds it. And she's like, oh, that's deep up in there. She's like, what if he's not there? Joe's like, well, odds are he'll be, he'll be near a settlement or near another city. And she starts like listing different cities in Wyoming because there's not that many. Then she's like, what was his name? And he's like, Tommy, younger or older? Younger. Why isn't he with you? Long story. Is it longer than 24 hours? Because I think that's what we got. He like looks at her. Then he's like, Tommy's what we used to call a joiner. Dreams of becoming a hero. So he enlisted in the army right out of high school. A few months later, they ship him off the desert storm. And she like looks at him and she's like confused. He's like, that's what they call the war. It doesn't matter. Point is, being in the army didn't make him feel much like a hero. Cut to 12 years later, outbreak happens. He convinces me to join a group making their way up to Boston, which I did. Mostly to keep an eye on him keep him alive. That's where we met Tess and that whole crew. We, uh, well, for what it was, it worked. And then Tommy meets Marlene. She talks him into joining the Fireflies. Same mistake he made when he was 18. Wants to save the world. Pipe dream. Him, Fireflies, all of them. Delusional. Of course, last I heard, he quit the Fireflies too. So now he's out on his own out there and I got to go get him. Then quietly she asks, she's like, if you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? I mean, you got to try, right? And he's like, you haven't seen the world, so you don't know. You keep going for family, and that's about it. And she's like, I'm not family. He's like, no, you're cargo. And I made a promise to Tess. And she was like family. Then Ellie's like, well, what if you don't find him? He's like, I will. And she's like, how do you know? I'm persistent. Then he says that 
she got up early. So if she wants, if she wants to grab more sleep. And she's like, she's like, I'm not even tired. And the next scene, she's sleeping, lightly snoring, whatever. Then she kind of wakes up as they drive like into the city. There's lots of cars on the side of the road. He stops because the, the road is blocked. There's like this underpass and there's like a semi in front of it and a bunch of cars there and everything. He tells her to stay put, grabs a right, gets out, grabs a rifle, looks around, gets back in. And she asks, he's like, where are we? He's like, Kansas City. So he looks on the map. He's like, it's too far to, to go back and you know try to go around this. Then he's like, screw it. He's like, I'm just going to try to go around the tunnel and take the next ramp, and we'll be back on the road. They're driving through the city now. He's like, where's the highway? And you know she's looking. She's like, I'm all turned around. He's like, well, don't look at the state map. And then she tells him, she's like, stop. And she's like, is that the QZ? And she's like, where the fudge is Fedra? Because there's like a building. It looked like how, how the, the, the quarantine zone looked on the outside. They're driving Lauren. Then this injured man, he's like, hey, please help. And Joe tells her, like, put your seatbelt on. And she's like, aren't you going to help him? He's like, no. He floors it. The guy dodges. Then Ellie sees there's a guy up on a fire escape. And she's like, Joel. He, like, tosses something heavy on them, and it kind of, like, cracks the windshield. Then he's he's driving. He's flooring it. Goes over some tire spikes. So it's like, oh, man. Then someone jumps out at him with a rifle. He swerves and, like, smashes. It's like a laundromat or something like that. And it's like, Ksh. Then he immediately asks, like, are you okay? Are you okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah. There's, like, gunfire. So they're getting shot at. They go out the passenger side. The guy from the street yells, just give us your stuff, and you'll make it through this. He's like, I promise. Joel sees there's, like, this little hole in the wall. He's like, he basically tells her when he says to go squeeze through that hole and don't come out until he says. And he's like, stay down, stay low, stay quiet. So then he tells her to go. She crawls. He's, he shoots. He hits one of them. And then the other guy's like, yeah, you, what? He's like cursing at him. And Joel kind of sneaks off. The guy moves towards them. And Ellie's like sitting on the other side of the wall. And then you hear like a loud gunshot. Joel got the second guy. So he goes to reload. And then the door crashes open. He swings up the rifle and he hits a guy, sends his shot flying up. They kind of struggle. But Joel gets pinned like on the floor with like the, the other guy's like rifle against his throat. And, you know, he's like on top of him or anything like that. And he's like, look what you did. You, you killed yourself, mofo. And Ellie gets her pistol out of her bag. She pops out of the hole. She walks up slowly, and there's, like, broken glass, but she's still walking. And she holds a gun up. She shoots a guy. I don't know if you, exactly where. She kind of shoots him in the back or something like that. She, it looked like she shot, like, really low. It's like, she can hit, hit Joel. Joel kind of, like, gasps and, like, chokes. The other guy's, like, on the ground. He's not dead. And... He sees her like still holding up the gun. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, it's over. He's like, we're, we're not fighting anymore. He's like, I, I'm going to go home. I'll tell everyone you're, you're, you're good. And he starts like crying. He's like, I, I don't know what to do. My, my, my legs don't work. He's like, my mom isn't far. If you could get me to her, we, we could trade with you guys. And Joel like tries getting to his feet. He's and the the guy kids keeps talking. He's like, we could be friends. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I'm, I'm Brian. I'm, I'm Brian. It's like, what's your name? Joel looks at Allie and he like looks at the gun holds out his hand and she like gives him the gun he puts it like in, in the back of his waistband he pulls out his own pistol and brian starts like, crying he's like wait 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 and he takes out a knife he like drops it. he's like you can have it it's a, it's a good knife ellie's just kind of like looks at joel she's like just like kind of in shock of all this joel picks it up and he's like get back behind a wall and brian starts like crying some more he's like no let's talk and everything ellie moves and and the guy's like gets louder and things. he's like please no he's like i'm sorry she goes in there he's like we can just talk mom 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 there's a dull thump and you hear like brian like gasp joel calls out 
that you know he needs to get in there but he can't fit through so she, she like actually like wipes some tears it looks like maybe and then he's like there's she says that there's some stuff against the door so she, there's like a big desk she's try, it's like starting to move it he like pushes from the other side and comes in and then they shove the, the the desk back against the door and she's like i'm okay i'm good and she grabs her her backpack and she's like i have some food in, in here and i have your flashlight and she's like what now and it almost feels like is she trying to keep talking to avoid the fact that she had a gun or you know she's probably just just talking just rambling he's like we have to go up and hopefully spot a clear route out he's and so they, they go up a bit they make it out to the street somehow and you see like a hummer and like a pickup drive by and someone's like they've got fudging brian and then we see there's like six guys in vests and helmets standing with assault rifles by this parking lot entrance so inside, someone named Edelstein, some old dude, he's like, I told you I was alone. I haven't seen any of those people since that night. He's like, what else do you want me to say? There's this lady standing in front of him. She's like, I don't know the truth. So her name is Kathleen, according to closed caption. And it's actually, um, I forget the actress name. She's in uh, uh, the Was, uh, what's that show? Um, the Showtime show, The Soccer Girls, Yellow Jackets. This thing is her. So she's uh, she's like the Burquist. Him? No. Have you seen him? No. Mark Anthony Haplin? No. So she's reading this list, and he just keeps shaking his head. Then she like folds off the list, whatever. And she's like, "You know where Henry is?" And she's like, "I wonder if this is a cell where my brother was beaten to death." And Adelstein, the dude, he's like, "I know you were wrong." He's like, "And I'm sorry, but this has gone too far. It has to stop." She says that, oh, it has to stop now because now you're here before it was okay to write out your neighbors to Fedra. And he's like, they put a gun to my head. And she puts a gun to her gun to his. And he's like, I delivered you. He's like, I never said anything about your brother. And she's like, but Henry did. And, and we know that he's still in the city. So she's like, I think that you know too. Where is he? And she puts a gun like right up to his head. She's like, you think I won't do it? He's like, I'm your doctor. And then outside, a, like a truck horn honks. So she goes to check. There's several people out there. The, the dead have been brought there. And she's like, who did this? This dude says that they think it was outsiders because they found a truck. It was loaded, not a Federer vehicle, but they were heavily supplied. So it could be Mercs. And she's like, if Henry has a radio, maybe he called out there and called these guys in, which is just absolutely ridiculous. So then she asks the medic, she's like, well, will he live? And he, he's like, uh. and she's like, well, what if we had a doctor? And the medic's like, there's, there's no chance. So then she just turns, determinedly walks back. She goes to the dude inside, has him open up the, the container door. She stands there, she just shoots the guy. So this is, I guess she's supposed to be like the leader of this city group, or whatever, outside. She's like, this is absolutely ridiculous. It's just, like, it makes me cringe, whatever. But she's like, this is Henry's work, understand? And he won't stop until we stop him. Find who did this. Find every collaborator and kill them all. And several trucks start driving off. There's, like, army truck and picks up. Everyone's, like, armored up, whatever, super armed. Joel and Ellie are hiding. And she's like, they're not Fedra and they're not Firefly. Who are they? Joel's like, people. So he's like, we'll be okay here for a little bit. It's like, they'll be coming through soon enough though. And, you know, she's looking outside because our windows are covered with newspaper. 
And he's like, there's a really tall building four blocks away. And Joel's like, you know, he's like, that's where they're going. As soon as we don't hear a truck, we move fast, as fast as we can. So they like sit there. He kind of has his head in his hand or whatever. And she's like, are you all right? He's like, he says that he is. And shakily, he asks, he's like, are you all right? And she's like, yeah. And he's just like, shakes his head. He's like, I didn't hear that guy coming. And he's like, you shouldn't have had to, you know. And she's like, well, you're glad I did, right? And he's like, you're just a kid. You shouldn't know what it, it, it's not like you killed him, but shooting or I, I know what it's like the first time you hurt someone like that. If you, uh, what? he's like, I'm not good at this. And she's like, yeah, you're not. It, it was my fault. You shouldn't have had to. And I'm sorry. She actually, she like wipes some more tears and like sniffles. Then she's like, it wasn't my first time. And he like looks at her. Then he takes out her gun. He ejects the bullet casing and he hands it to her. He's like, show me your grip. He's like, finger off the trigger. And then she's like, well, he's like, now who taught you that? And she's like, fetch your school. He's like, figures. So he gives her more pointers, how to hold it, like where to put her thumb, like squeeze down here. And, and he's like, look, because like that way someone can't grab it out of your hand. He kind of like yanks it and it like doesn't come out. So um, then and she like kind of smiles and he's like, okay. And she nods and then he loads it hands it back to her. She's about to put it in her, her, her pocket. And he's like, uh-uh. He's like, you put it in your pack or you'll shoot your damn ass off. So he gets up and she, you know, she looks at the gun and she smiles. You know, she thinks it's cool. He starts like pulling wood off this door, just like, you know, nailed over the door. She puts a, but she puts a gun in her, her jacket pocket and not her backpack, like he said. Then he looks at her. He's like, we'll get through this. And she's like, I know. So it's, it's kind of neat that you know, she has faith in him, you know, because she, she trusts him and she knows that, you know, he, he's going to get her through. Oh, I just think it's kind of crazy. You know, it's them against a who knows how many in, in this city. So Kathleen's standing outside glaring. This dude with his beard comes. I think his name's Perry, Perry or Percy, something like that. He comes up to her and he's like, there's no sign of them. And he's like, you? And she's like, yeah. Then he takes her upstairs, this place. He opens this ladder to like an attic. You see like drawings taped to a wall, like some superhero drawings, like a kid kid's drawing, empty cans of food on the floor. And she's like, they're out of food. It's like, Henry won't let Sam starve. And she's, and she's like, double the guards are on our provisions. But then there's something else he, he has to show her. So they go down and the, the ground is like all cracked, like a crater almost. And it, it kind of rumbles a little bit. So then they get out quickly. So it's like something is about to bust through there. And he's like, when do we tell the others? She's like, later. She's like, I want to deal with what we have to deal with first. So basically she's saying she wants to deal with whatever this revenge thing is that she has going on before warning people that they could be in danger. I don't know what this crater thing is. I'm assuming it's like some fungus or something that's about to bust through or, or it has to be something with the outbreak stuff. But she's like, just seal off the building for now. So it just seems very selfish. Joel boosts Ellie, like, so she can kind of go through this window. And he tells her to look around, but she just ignores him and just goes and she opens the door. And she's like, where would you be without me? And he's like, Wyoming. And she's like, oh, yeah. So I guess they reach the building. And he says that they're going to go upstairs. And she's like, all the way? He's like, 45 flights? He's like, well, maybe not all the way, but we're going to go as, as far as we can make it. They're going up there, and they're both, like, breathing heavy. And then she asks about the guy who said he was hurt. She's like, how did you know it was an ambush? He's like, well, I've been on both sides. He's like, a long time ago, we did what we did to survive. 
And she asks if he killed innocent people. He like looks at he doesn't really answer. And he's like, come on. So they made it up 33 floors. And she's like, that's pretty good. And then he's like, it'll have to be. So he's like sitting on the floor. And she's like, come on, come on, get up. And he's like, give me a minute. And she's like, get up, you lazy ass. He's like, lazy ass. He's like, 56 years old, you little poop. They break into this office. He starts like uh, sprinkling broken glass on the floor. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't want anyone to sneak up on us. And then while they're, they're lying down, he's like, hey, when we were talking about hurting people, what did you mean it wasn't your first time? There's a pause. And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. And he's like, all right, you don't have to. He's like, I'm just saying it isn't fair. Your age, having to deal with all this. Then she's like, does that mean it gets easier when you get older? And he's like, no, not really, but still. Then she says that the reason she asked if he'd hear the glass is because she noticed that he doesn't hear too well on his right side. And she's like, is it because you were shot there? And he's like, probably more from shooting. And he's like, so if you want to keep your hearing, you stick to that knife. And then she's like, Joel, because they're like lying, lying on like cushions now. She's like, Joel, did you know diarrhea is hereditary? And he's like, what? She's like, yeah, it runs in your genes. She starts snickering. And he like softly, he's like, Jesus. And he's like, he starts actually laughing. And he's like, that is so GD stupid. And she's like, you laughed, you mofo. He's like, I didn't laugh. She's like, yes, you did. And he's like, Jesus, I'm losing it. He's like, yeah, you're losing it big time. They both keep laughing. He's like, go to sleep, Ellie. And then later, you hear Joel. Joel. Ellie wakes him up. There's someone holding a gun to them. It's a little kid. And it was almost like he has like a mask painted on his face. And he holds a finger to his lips. And that's where the episode ends. So this is probably, what was his name? Sam, the Henry's kid, because he drew superheroes on a wall. So if Sam and Henry are hiding, this kid probably found them. So hopefully this isn't a bad thing. Uh, if, if, I mean, the Kathleen is looking for him, then hope maybe they can work together. So that's the episode. And uh, I have to say that, you know, because I, when I try to explain this, this show to people who don't know anything about the video game or anything like that, I'm like, it's a zombie show, but it's not a zombie show because <laughs> there's really no zombies. You know, there, there's there. You got the zombie outbreak apocalypse or whatever, but it's not about the zombies so much. It's about, you know, Joel and Ellie and the survival and getting her there in this, you know, horrific world. So I, I, I really think that's, that's cool. Yeah, I, and I just wish I played the game. I wish I had time and whatever. But I, I love the fact that, you know, cause everyone, everyone knows Walking Dead, probably. And this isn't Walking Dead. This isn't just another zombie survival show. This feels just so different. And I think that that's really cool. So we'll see where it goes from there. I mean, I, we're going to get some outbreak in the next episode, you know, according to the previews. But it's just, I'm just really enjoying the show. And I think it's 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 Pedro Pascal. I mean, he's just so, so good in this. And he's just really selling it. So that is this week's The Last of Us. All right. The Flash is back. <laughs> the Flash Season 9, Episode 1, Wednesday Ever After. Which I, I don't know about that that title. It starts off. There's this big mold. I, I totally forget. It's not Surge. What's his name? Steel, not Girder Steel. I forget his name. Big Molten dude. He's attacking like some dock workers. And then you're like, welcome back. Let's do this one last time. Frost. Killer Frost. Like, wait, what? Did we miss something? Killer Frost. Blast him. Frost. Chuck throws this like force field gadget and around some stuff that 
I, I guess this dude was trying to smash him like that. And then he starts levitating. Cecile is like somehow lifting him up because you know she her powers are, are like are changing or amping up or something like that. And then you hear, you hear. I think they said, "Hey Joey, leave my friends alone." I was the guy's name. I don't know where that that came from. Uh, Allegra blasts him, and she's like, "Easy peasy." And Flash runs up like the pose next to everyone because he didn't really do anything. And then Joe blasts him with a cannon thing that makes him just like his like power down to like human form. And then F Flash finally does something, runs up and cuffs him. And a dude tells Flash, she's "Like you can't win." He's like, "This is the end of everything." And Flash is like, "Wait." He turns around and he looks. Uh, he looks at everyone. He, you know, he looks at, at Frost. He's like, "But you're you're dead," and she's like, "Yeah, because you couldn't save me." And then her eyes kind of like, uh, and and the molten dude's eye, they they both kind of go red and flicker, and then they both scream, and then they they collapse. Then Allegra's like, "Yeah, just like you couldn't save me and Chuck." And then they do the same thing. Their eyes kind of flicker, or whatever, light up, and then they they scream and and, and collapse. And and then Joe's like, well, you know, you did the best that you could. And Cecile's like, it just wasn't good enough. Then they scream and fall. And then suddenly Iris is there. It's like, what is she doing? She wasn't even there before. And then he's like, no, no, not you. And then same thing happens. And he's like, no. And he wakes up. It was a dream. It's morning. Iris groans. She's like, oh, is it Wednesday already? So she doesn't want to go back to work. They, I guess, from her coming back, from being the, the time sickness and all that stuff like that, they took a week off and just did nothing. So she doesn't want to go back to work. And you know, she just wants to stay in bed where it's cozy. And you know, she, or Barry's like, it's been a great seven days. He's like, I probably have a lot of CCPD paperwork piled up. And then we see it cuts to Star Labs. Joe and Cecile are there trying to test her telekinetic abilities that she's starting to develop. And because, you know, Joe has a football and there's like one like hanging tire thing on chains and got to throw the football in there. So she's supposed to telekinetically move the football through through the tires. So she's holding it. And then it kind of just like almost like it gets yanked out of her hands. It goes flying in opposite direction. It's like smash some beakers. And she's like and but then Joe seems kind of distracted suddenly. So she tries again. She gets the football. She's about to throw it. It zooms out, hits, knocks over his TV monitor, and like shatters the screen. So her, her ability with the powers, telekinetics, not really working so well. At uh, the, the, the what's the newspaper? Iris's media light post. I forget what what it is. She's uh, Allegra is filling Iris in on, on the stuff that she missed. Um, that one annoying girl, Taylor. Um, Ara Arez, I forgot his name, and Vanya, they know Allegra's secret, but they're going to keep it because of that whole hostage situation thing. They, they realize that she's helping to flash and everything like that, so they're cool with, with her now. She also said that uh, she's like, I had a, a surprise meeting with Cat Grant. And she means, she's like, you mean like Catco Worldwide, you know, whatever? And Allegra's like, yeah. She's like, Catco Worldwide wants to buy CCC Media and ex to expand our, our Iris's global footprint. She's like, it's basically a blank check. All you have to do is say yes. Oh, and that's what Barry said to him when they're, they're in the morning. You know, she gets up, she goes to her desk. There's one of Barry's socks on the table. So she like knocks off and they, whatever. Then he's like, just don't forget, you know, whatever you use or just make sure you say yes. So that's what Allegra says. And then um, she kind of thinks about it. Then she's like, so Allegra's like, what do you think? She's like, I, I, I think I left my phone at home. She's like, I, I'll, I'll get back to you. At CCPD, Kramer wants to talk to Barry in her office. Um, and then he's like, I want to be the director of CSI division. And she's like, wow, you must be a mind reader. Cause this other dude in charge of it, he's retiring. And she's like, I wasn't sure if you were interested. She's like, can you balance, you know, all the responsibility of that, you know, paperwork and being the flash. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. She's like, okay, I'll, I'll let, you know, talk to the mayor about it. 
And then this officer comes in. They have a transport under attack downtown. So she looks at Barry. He zips off. It's Captain Boomerang, which we I guess we haven't seen him here. Uh, I don't know how I feel about him here. He's he's not Australian, but he's he, he seems like he's got this attitude. It's like, where are you coming from, dude? There's this like container thing he opens. He knocked these guards out with boomerangs. Barry runs up to him. He's like, oh, you must be new in town. And then he, you know, flashes like, you're going back to Iron Heights. And Boomerang's, Boomerang's like, you'll have to kill me first because I'm never going back to that place. Or he vowed that he's never going back. So he throws, you know, he's got like all these boomerangs in, inside of his jacket. Like, you know, psst, you want to buy a boomerang type of, you know, one of those guys. He throws like three different boomerangs and flash, you know, slow motion dodges like that. And while he's, he's doing this, he asks for information on this guy. So Allegra tells him who he is. And you know he was from Iron Heights, and he got like he, he got like picked on by others and and stuff like that. So then Barry runs away, goes up a building, comes back, does one of his you know throwing the energy blast at him. But Boomerang somehow put up a force field that causes the blast to knock Barry back. He goes smashing through this little table, or whatever like that. And then Allegra's like he just teleported out of there. So it's like wait, how does Captain Boomerang teleport? I don't I don't think that's one of his his deals, but he's gone. But then Barry's like, "Oh, I'll just deal with him tomorrow." He's like, "I have dinner plans with Iris." So it's like he's not even concerned. And then he tells uh, Allegra, he's like, "You, know, you and, and Chester, you should probably get some rest, you know." And she's like, "Did he just give us the rest of the day off?" So the devising that Boomerang was trying to get kind of starts crackling a little bit with this like purple energy. Okay, so then later Barry asks Iris if she's okay because she was a little seemed a little tired at dinner, and she's like, "Did you know about the the cat co offer?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "I figured it out," and then he gets like excited. He's like, "I got this map book, and I made predictions based on everything that's going to happen to us in the future." So he opens this one page and says, "Nightmare under red skies." First Pulitzer Iris career twenty twenty three, and she looks at him. She's like, "This is part of was so annoying." She's like. You're planning our future without me? I'm like, are you serious? Come on. And he's like, no. He's like, instead of changing the timeline, we're just going to follow it. He's like, with everything that I picked up from from time traveling and from Gideon's records, he's like, we already know so much. He's like, I spent all week putting it all, all this together. And she's like, why would you want to do that? And he, he says that, well, okay, I've been having the same nightmare every, you know, every night since we defeated the forces. He's like, I can't keep you safe, but with the book we can see what's coming, good or bad. And then he's like, and you're going to get pregnant in three months. He's like, and you're going to have two Pulitzers. He's like, he's like, we're safe now. He's like, we don't have to worry about Desperos or anything like that. And she's like, she doesn't say anything. And then she's like, well, I'm just tired. I just, I just want to go to bed. So she's like, let's talk about this tomorrow. And so then, you know, in bed, and she's just like, good night. And so it's like, What? And while they're sleeping, you know, then that pink like energy stuff kind of starts like oozing out from like under the bed and everything like that. So it's morning. Barry uh, looks at at the book to see if he catches Captain Boomerang today. But he's like, oh, it doesn't say anything about him. He tries telling Iris something, but then she just cuts him off. And she's like, just shower first. She's like, "I'm, I'm still waking up. So she is just not... A morning person and it's it's so weird you know I, I joke a lot about iris and everything like that but it's like my goodness the way she's written here she is just so so annoying and just so like cold and just, 
Anyways, at work, Allegra tries giving Iris updates again, and, and Iris just keeps cutting her off. She's like, I already know this, and you know, this stuff like that. And then as they're walking, she stops Allegra from like kind of bumping into Taylor because you know, they, they bumped into each other last time. Then Allegra's like, what, what are you, psychic now too? She's like, no, I just keep getting deja vu. Then Allegra's like, I have some news. And Iris like, is it about Catco Media? And Allegra's like, did Kara tell you? And Iris like, no. It's like, we already discussed this yesterday. And Allegra's like, what? And then this is another annoying part. Iris like, Barry, what did you do this time? I was like, are you serious? It's like, you automatically blame Barry. At CCPD, Kramer talks to Barry about the new position. And he says that, he's like, wait, are, are you changing your mind? She's like, yeah, I think you, you just might have too much you know, on your plate. He's like, but you, you can't take it back. He's like, the book says so. And she just looks at him. She's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but you have to watch your tone. And then the officer comes in. She's like, transport's under attack downtown. And then he's just like standing there. And she looks at him like, uh, are you going to do something about it? Which is like, you're, you're telling Flash what to do now. You know, he's a CSI guy. Flash isn't under, you know, on her payroll. He goes downtown, Captain Boomerang. He, he's like, Captain Boomerang, right? And he's like, didn't we already do this? And then Captain Boomerang, he's like, no, dumbass. We just met. He, but then he throws the three boomerangs. Flash dodges him again. Iris storms into Star Labs while he's in the middle of a fight. She doesn't even care if it might distract him. She's like, Barry, did you time travel us? It's like, like, dude, he's he's getting these explosive razor sharp or who knows what boomerangs thrown at him. And you don't even care to see what he's doing, that he needs a focus. He's like, uh, if I did, it wasn't on purpose. So then he does his big like flash thunderclap, I guess, whatever. He's just like, <laughs> boomerang turns on his force field. The blast bounces off of it, goes, it's a big, huge ball of flames. Barry, flash goes flying up or whatever. And then he gets like incinerated. He's like, Whoosh. and then they both wake up in bed. And he's like, what just happened? And he's like, I, I think I just died. And she's like, what? She's like, how are you here? How are you both here? Then she looks over at her desk. And his sock is on the desk again. Then they look at the calendar thing. They have like this weird, they, I don't know if the calendar changes on its own. We're in a time loop. And it's February 1st, by the way. It's, so it's like, it basically, it basically Groundhog Day, but it's not Groundhog's Day yet. And they're at Star Labs. Uh, there's composite temporal particles on them. Cecile's like, it's called Groundhog's Day, just like the movie. But again, it's February 1st. So the device that Boomerang was trying to steal is from Cord Industries. And Chuck's like, it's it's like a particle accelerator, only portable. They're like, well, can we reverse the effects? And Chuck's like, well, only if we can get the device and analyze it. He's like, maybe we can figure it out. So Barry zips out, comes back with it. He has up the part that, that Boomerang tried taking. He's like, well, they, they were loading it on the, on the truck. So, you know, I got that from the inside. So basically, Barry just went and stole it. Then Chuck's like, oh, this is quantum-based microcircuitry. This is game-changing tech, yo. I'm pretty sure I'm like 99.9% positive. He said, game-changing tech, yo. So then Iris says to Barry when they're alone, she's like, the day's already repeated twice. What if this goes on forever? And he's like, he's like, no. He's like, Chester will find a way out of, out of this. Then she's like, well, what should I do until then? He's like, just do what you always do. Go to work. So Chuck's fiddling with the device, and he's doing something, and he causes it to explode. And then Barry and Iris wake up in bed again. And she's like, let me guess, whatever you and Chester did didn't work. He's like, uh, well, we won't make that same mistake twice. They're in the lab. It explodes again and again 
<laughs> and then on whiteboard, you see like he like they're at fifteen times or something like that. Chester's wearing this big like padded you know bomb suit, whatever. And then again, this time though, when Barry wakes up, Iris isn't in bed with him, and she's like at the like the counter, whatever breakfast counter, and she's like drinking. So it's like, how did she manage to wake up early? I don't understand it because last time they they both appeared in bed, but she's like, well, I figured since you know I already knew to drill, I might as well enjoy it. So she's drinking wine and everything. And he's like, what what are you doing? And she's like, absolutely nothing. And he's like, should you really be doing that? And she's like, well, it won't matter. And he's like, this is serious, Iris. And she says that she realizes that she can do whatever she wants, and she never has to say yes. And then he's like, did you ever say yes? you know, with the Catco deal. And she's like, no. He's like, well, that's why we're stuck here. He's like, he's like, what if we're stuck here until you say yes, just like the book says. Then she's like, now you want me to follow the map book forever? No, thank you. So I guess she'd rather be stuck there on the same, repeating this day over and over again, drinking wine, than follow the book. As I, 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 you know, she, she even says that she'd rather do that. So I guess drinking is cool. <laughs> it's uh, whatever. Then she's like, I'll have more Merlot, please. And he's like, you want to stay in the time loop? And she's like, yeah, because that map book isn't me. So she doesn't want to know everything that's going to happen. It takes away her free will. And when she was stuck in a still force, she didn't know what was going to happen. She's in the future, in the past, where she's bouncing around. She's like, today's the first day that I'm not worrying about anything. And he's like, but we're going to have our future together. She's like, we can't have that if we stay here. And she's like, well, I want to be able to choose it. He's like, I thought you already did. And he's like, I got to go get some mirrors. And he like leaves. So he goes running. I guess he goes running all day. <laughs> and then he, eventually he, he arrives at Joe and Cecile's. They're about to have dinner. And then he's like tosses down a journal, whatever. And he explains that Iris doesn't want to be tied down by the book. And she's willing to let all of it go. He talks about her being stuck in the mirror universe and the time sickness. And when he thought Thawne killed her. And Joe's like, so the book may predict the future when she's safe. But is she happy? He's like, you know, the book doesn't explain the things that make her happy. So basically, they're just trying to say it is, I don't know, it's like, they're, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. So Barry returns home. Iris is like kind of laying in the living room. She's probably hung over from drinking all day. And she's like, oh, you've been gone all day. He's like, yeah, I had a lot to think about. So she says that she changed her mind. He's like, well, the book is a love story. But it's just a story. You know, the real thing, that's us. That's all we need. So that's why I just want to appreciate every second of our lives while it happens, you know, with you. And she's like, you know, even if we're stuck in the same day, and he's like, it's fine as long as I'm with you. So he's he puts a book in a fireplace. He's about to, like, turn it on, I guess, as an electric fireplace. And she's like, are you sure of that? He's like, well, whatever happens next, we'll figure it out together. Smooch. Then they wake up, ready to have some fun. They go to Iris's work. Barry has a this part. It's just weird. Barry has a bit bag of bagels, and Iris grabs one out of out of the bag with her hand, hands it to Taylor. Oh, this is my favorite kind. But it seems kind of gross. She's like touching her bagel and hands it to her. I'm sure her hands are clean, but you don't do that. You don't touch other people's bagels, even though they may have touched it before you saw it. Then she tells Allegra, she's like, I know about the offer. She's like, I'm ready to expand my empire, but I'm going to do it my own way. She's like, I talked to Sue, Sue Dibney or Sue, whatever her name is, not Dibney, but she's going to take a loan and buy the Coast City Gazette and because they're undergoing layoffs so they can bring in their staff and then they can use their voices, blah, blah, blah. 
So then they decide to go swimming. So there's, I guess, must be some tropical place or something like that because Barry does a cannonball and then he, when he comes out, you know, he's Iris hands him a, a like a fancy cocktail. He's like, "Did you see my cannonball? Did you see how high you splash?" And then Barry and Iris talk to Kramer about the position, and he, but he's like, I, "I can't handle. It. I can do it all." And she's like, "Yeah, and I'll I'll make sure that he he does it." So she's like, "Okay, I'll tell him here." Then they go after Boomerang, and she's like there too. He says that. Uh, or Boomerang was like, oh, I was hoping you'd show up. And Flash is like, yeah, you got roughed up at Iron Heights, so now you're hoping to be a big bag rogue in, in Central City, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, shut up. He goes to throw Boomerang, but then Iris shoots him with like one of those Star Labs rifle, sends Boomerang flying back into a windshield. He gets up. He's like, oh, I'm not. Or they're like, you're going back to Iron Heights. He's like, oh, I, I made a vow. I'm never going back. He's like, and the thing you should know about me is I always have a backup. So Flash lets him pull out like a some device, some detonator, and then he triggers it, even though he, you know he could just stop him like that. So he, apparently, there's a thermal nuke in, wired inside of the accelerator. Barry's like, "But millions of people could die," and Boomerang's like, "Oh yeah, that's true, but it's not really my problem, is it?" Then he teleports out of there, and Chuck's like, "If you try to move the accelerator, it could explode." You, I pr- predict you whatever you have like 20 seconds before it does. Barry says that to Iris, he's like, well, we had the best day ever. So he goes up to, to the device. He starts like vibrating his hand, touches the device. It starts to explode. He's still vibrating. Flames wash over Iris, but it doesn't affect her. She's totally fine. Barry's still vibrating. People are start freaking out because there's this huge, it's big nuclear blast, I guess, expanding out. So they're, they're like walking, freaking the fire. They're like ducking. Oh, no. You know, trying to run. The fire just kind of. So basically he's vibrating the blast so it's not really doing anything it just goes all over them finally the blast dissipates and allegra and chuck you know they were in star labs and the the, this is a huge blast so it almost took them over too but it just washes over them so they're looking at each other they're like they decide to kiss because they're live because you know they almost died everything so basically barry just basically vibrated the blast over everyone somehow i don't understand how that could even work uh, Chuck and Allegra stop kissing because they just realized what they just did because you know they haven't kissed before I guess like that. So Flash hugs Iris and he's asks her, he's like, "You still having fun?" So they go to Star Labs. Now it's Thursday, so apparently they did this fifty-eight times. They did fifty-eight time loops. Chuck, Chuck asks, he's like, "How did you, get, you know, how do we get out or something like that?" Iris says that living a day apart didn't work, so they did it together. But the problem is Boomerang's still out there. With He has the, the battery thing to the device or something like that. Allegra's like, how is he suddenly a genius? Because, you know, he wasn't that much before he got locked up or whatever. Joe's like, he has a partner, someone with brains. So Iris gets a call. She's like, oh, it's Sue. I got to go talk to her. So she, you know, then uh, it turns out, so Coast City Gazette is now part of her thing. Barry goes, you know, to talk to her outside. Barry says that it seems like, they spent so much time saving the world that they never got to enjoy the newlywed time. And he's like, you know, we should make some time, but they just took a week off. So I don't know. And she's like, yeah, we should, you know, do something. And she's like, after all, I'm going to be pregnant in three months. Right. So then, uh, at star Labs, Cecile manages to make the shot with the football. And then she, she knows something's up with Joe. Cause she's like, what's going on? What's your deal? And then he's like, you know, nine years in a superhero life. And then, you know, now she's developing his power or whatever like that. He's like, it's been incredible and terrifying, but, it makes me ask, what's next for us, what, for our, our whole family? And he's like, I think we should leave Central City. And she's like, oh, which I don't understand what that means. 
why, why? So she's developing superpowers. You know, they've been around there. So he just wants to leave. Is does he want to leave Central City because there's it's like a magnet for, for why do all the villains go to Central City when the Flash is there? Why do all the villains go to Gotham City when Batman's there? Why do all the villains go to Metropolis when I, I don't know if that's what he's thinking? So go somewhere to like Omaha, Nebraska, where there's no superheroes, so there's no supervillains. Why don't the supervillains go there? I don't know. So then Barry arrives at Star Labs to talk to um, Caitlin because I guess she sent him an alert. And she's just like staring out the window with her back to him. He's like, what's wrong? And then he's like looking at her. He's like, Frost, is that you? But there's like blue streaks in her hair instead of white. She turns. She's like, I'm neither. I'm afraid. And I'm sorry to meet you like this, but I'm glad you came. And she's like, this will sound strange, but I'll explain. He's like, you're not Frost or Caitlin. He's like, who are you? So then we, we're going to have to wait till next week. But then uh, the, the last scene Captain Boomerang is like in some evil warehouse, or whatever. He's got the device. Uh, this metal case slides up to him like someone kicked it to him. He looks inside. There's more boomerangs in there because he needs more tech. Then he's like, what's our next move? Not what? Who? It's like this distorted voice. So then you see someone like this shadowy. It almost looked like a speedster with red eyes or something like that. The Flash is never truly alone. But by the time I'm done with him, he will be. So you see this shadowy, shaky, whatever person. But as the lightning kind of flickers off to the end scene, it almost makes like this bat emblem. I kind of remember reading something about this, that it had something to do with like this. I thought it was supposed to be like an evil Batwoman or evil something from Batwoman, but not Batwoman. I don't know. I don't know who this is. At first, I was like, is this Thon? Because he came back. Is he up to something? And now he's teaming up with Boomerang, but it's not him. I I totally forget. So that was a flash, and my goodness, uh, I feel because I, I feel committed to the show because it has been nine years. But man, there's just the stuff with Iris. It just it drives me nuts because she's just so mean and annoying. And part of me, I'm like, I don't know if I can cover this, but it's a short, shortened season, and it would just feel weird to just give up on it. I don't know. Do people? Do you want to hear about it? Let me know. All right, then we have Star Wars, The Bad Batch. The two episodes came out this week. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Season two, episode seven, The Clone Conspiracy. So it starts off at Coruscant, like some club. You see some like clones, you know, officers are talking. Uh, the two of them are Cade and Slip. So um, Cade says that the entire galaxy believes in Rampart's lies, even the Senate. So he's like, it's not right. Um, Slip is like, you just got to let it go. He's like, nothing we can do about it. And then Cade's like, he's like, well, how, how can I? It's like, Camino was our home and they destroyed it. You know, all those city, all those people gone because of what we did. So then Slip's like, well, we were just following orders. And then Cade's like, well, then why is Rampart covering it up? You know, he can't stay silent any longer. He's like, I sent a message to Rampart, gave him a chance to tell the Senate the truth before I did. So then he gets up to go outside and then Slip follows him. He's like, you know what Rampart's capable of? And he's like, you know, we're not bad men. He's like, what we did was. But then um, then Cade gets shot. Um, Slip, like, raises his pistol, but then it gets shot out of his hand. And he, like, ducks. He's, like, you know, he's pinned behind this, like, speeder bike. And he, he goes, he checks on Cade. He's dead. So then he starts up the speeder bike, and he, like, jumps off the platform, and he f- f- merges into traffic. So other officers and troopers, they come up, they, they see the body, they order secure the perimeter. And then the sniper like kind of pauses and then he leaves. So at first I was like, is that crosshair? 
because it, it, you know, he, it's like a, he's wearing a darker uniform, and it's not like the whatever distinct look. So it wasn't really clear at this point. So then we, a senator is addressing the Senate about Camino. You know, without the production of new clone troopers, they're vulnerable. Um, Admiral Rampart's proposed defense recruitment bill will keep them protected. This, another senator says that you know a new conscripted military is what the galaxy needs. You know, one comprised of people who fight for the people. Another senator says that that talk has been tabled, that there are more pressing matters in the galaxy right now than the costly creation of a new military. It's like the war is over. The, the first alien dude, he's just like grumpy alien senator or whatever. He says like, well, maybe where you're residing. He's like the mid and the outer rims are rife with insurgents. Bail Organa says that the deployment of the clone army was a result of the Emergency Powers Act put forth by Chancellor Palpatine during the separatist crisis. Shifting to a military of citizens swearing loyalty goes against the principle of this body. The other senator disagrees. Organa's like, well, you know, he, where does the emperor stand on this issue since he remains absent from these proceedings? So then the emperor's one dude, Mas Ameda, his, I forgot his, his title. Um, anyways, he says, the emperor, as always, trusts this delegation to act in the best interests of all galactic citizens. And another's like, well, what about the interests of the clones? You know, why aren't they included? And, and then one's like, well, they can't attend because of their accelerated aging and they should be scheduled for decommissioning. So then this other um, senator speaks, Senator Chuchi, says that they're not droids to simply be shut down. You know, these are soldiers who defended us, defended our worlds. And she says, it's like some more stuff, you know, one question about it. Then Rampart says to her, she's like, provisions are in place for them to aid them as they start to get phased out. Organa mentions, was like, well, why don't we table the vote on the defense recruitment bill until we get that bit settled? And then this other senator seconds it. And then... Um, you see Masa Meta, he doesn't look too happy about this because they obviously want this bill to get put in place. So Rampart talks to Ameda later saying that he's like, Governor Tarkin assured me that you would be capable of getting the Senate to support this bill. Masa Meta says that he's not the one who will suffer if it doesn't pass. Rampart says, he's like, well, it will pass. He's like, a few vocal senators won't derail us. Ameda says they already have. So if any of them begin to dig deeper into what really happened on you know, to Camino, then the legislation is at risk. And so is Rampart. Rampart's like, I have measures in place to ensure that doesn't happen. Senator Chuchi talks to some clones. They're not happy that they just want, want them out since they've served their purpose. Chuchi says, she's like, well, that's why I'm here, to better understand your needs. The clone says that he wants to keep being a trooper, you know, once they've served a rotation because they're, they're supposed to be taken out, whatever. But she starts talking about like a pension. He like dismisses it. He just wants to you know fight insurgents. She's like, well, what happens when you're too old to fight? This other clone's like, that's not a scenario that we're trained to think about. She's like, well, maybe it's time that you did. Slip uh, talks to the senator later. He's like kind of like hiding in the sh in the shadows or the doorway. He asks her, he's like, do you really intend on helping the clones? And sh she says that they have no representation in the Senate and they deserve to have someone speak on their behalf. Slip's like, it won't matter. Admiral Rampart can't be trusted. He's lied to you, to everyone. He said, Camino wasn't destroyed by a storm. It was an attack ordered by Rampart. And she's like, how can he make such an accusation? He's like, because I was there aboard his Venator, his, his big starship, whatever. So he's like, he had us open fire in the cities. And she's like, if that happened, the Senate would know. You know, someone would have come forward. Slip says that Rampart makes sure no one could. Clones who tried to speak up were either reassigned, went missing, or ended up dead. And she says, 
she's like, you know, you don't look good. And he says his name slip. He's like, check my service record. If you don't believe me, CT 0409. And he's like, you seem like one of the good ones, Senator, be careful. So Chuchi's going to meet with Rampart. And then she asks her aide if he's found CT 04909. They're, they're trying to locate him now, but they can't find him anywhere. So Slip's on a run. He's like darting about. He calls someone on his comm because they're supposed to be able to get him out. He's like, I'm afraid I don't have much time. Rampart says to Chuchi, you expect the Empire to fund a new military and full pensions for millions of clone troopers? She says, if that's not manageable, then perhaps now is the time for his recruitment bill. He sighs. He's like, oh, I wish that was the case. But the murmurs of rising threats and insurgencies are more than rumors. It's like, my priority is keeping the galaxy safe. He says that he does agree with her. The future of the clones requires further discussion and planning. They owe them that for their service. So she's, he's basically saying what she wants to hear. So she kind of goes silent. And he notices, he like, is something troubling you? She brings up the storm that caused the cities of Camino to, to fall. And she's like, how is it that you survived? He sighs. He's like, oh, I was taking part of a training exercise off-world. If I was present, perhaps more could have been you know, saved. She says that you know, losing a majority of the Camino population is beyond tragic. And he's like, indeed, but we must move forward. She's like, well, perhaps it's easier for some than others. And she's like, good day, Admiral. And he just like thinks and you know, he's sitting there thinking about after she leaves. So obviously he's going to have to do something about her. Chuchi's walking with one of her aides or guards or whatever. Then someone runs up to her and says that she's received a secure communication. So she goes to this like shady area and R2 droid meets her. She goes alone. She tells her guard that, you know, she'll to wait there. It's Bail Organa. So he meets with her. He says that she caused quite a stir during yesterday's session in the, in the Senate. And she's, oh, it's amazing how speaking up for what's right can cause a stir. He says that he heard that she had a meeting with Rampart. You know, he's like, was it productive? And she's like, well, surprisingly so. She's like, I expected more pushback, but he conceded to many of my requests for the clones. Bale's like, Rampart is skilled at saying the right things, especially when he doesn't want anyone to look deeper. And Bale's like, you know, there are other whispers. The insurgencies are growing and the Empire is, or Emperor is afraid. It's kind of convenient. A catastrophic storm destroys the cloning facilities, making way for the Empire's new military. The city was designed to be submergible. It survived thousands of years, and then suddenly it's wiped off the map. She tells him that she spoke to a, a with a clone who claims that Rampart gave the order to attack the cities, and you know if they can get him to testify, then you know she has her people looking for him. He's in hiding. Organa's like, be careful. It's like you may not be the only one searching for him. So then uh, the sniper again is it crosshair? He Holo calls Rampart. Hasn't found a clone yet, but Senator Chuchi's guards have also been searching for him. Rampart says, you know, follow the senator. If she finds him, handle it. The senator as well? Yes. Ensure that it can't lead back to me. Slips sneaking around. He goes to this rendezvous place. His contacts, he calls him. His contacts en route. He hears some footsteps. He gets ready. He raises his gun. It's Chuchi and her aide or guard, whatever. Slip is surprised to see her, and she says that she believes he was telling the truth about Rampart, and she wants that. Um, she wants him to help her, and he's like, "No way!" He's like, "I was like, I'm leaving once my you know my contact gets here." And she's like, "Who?" He's like, "Someone who can help make me disappear where the Empire can't find me." Then he's like, "Wait, how did you find me?" He's like, "Were you followed?" If you know, if she can get to him, then so can they. So she says that she can protect him and Slip's like, they've already killed Cade. 
his life was in danger, hers will be too. She says it, it wasn't just a clone facility destroyed, cities were destroyed also. They all deserve justice. Then we see the senators in the crosshairs. One of her guards insists that they leave because it's not a secure area and slips like he's right. It's like, you don't need me. The evidence that you want is aboard Rampart's ship. Check the bridge's command log. He's like, I saved a backup in a central system. And then pew, he gets shot. Guards try protecting her. One gets shot. He shoots as they, they run away. Then uh, they pry open this, this door. Guard, he gets shot, but he must have armor or something like that because he, he's still fine. The shooter fires like a, a grappling line, comes down. More shooting inside. The guard says that he'll draw the shooter out. She needs to get to the, the speeder. And he's like, well, just run. He seems to get shot like right away. The senator is still getting shot at. Door is locked. So she goes a different way. There's more shots. Then she's face to face with the shooter. He aims. Pew, pew, pew. Stun blast. So it's actually Captain Rex shooting the other dude. Then she's like, what are you doing here? And he says that he was meeting a clone contact, so he's meeting Slip, when he heard the blaster fire. And she's like, Slip is dead. And she's like, so are my guards. So she's like, Slip was going to testify about the attack on Camino. It's like, no, he wasn't. He's, he didn't want to do that. Rex says that someone was determined to make sure that that never happened. And he looks at the, the stunned shooter. He finds a button on his helmet, like to open the visor. It's a clone, but it's not Crosshair. So it's some other random clone. Chuchi's like, why would a trooper do such a thing? Rex says that he's not a trooper. He's, he's, I was like, I'm not sure what he is, but I suggest that we question him somewhere more hidden. He's like, I have just a place. So the shooter's restrained in this like garage area. Rex says that a couple of his friends own the place, but they're gone for a bit. So I don't know if we're supposed to know who it is. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Shooter wakes up. Nice of you to join us. You got a name? The shooter just stays silent. Then Rex comments. He's like, you're not wearing any identifiable markings. Like, who do you work for? No answer. Rex says that if he tells him whose orders he was following, he's like, I'll let you go. And then he finally answers, no, you won't, Captain Rex. You've been fighting the wrong battle, brother. You are limited. Then Rex asks, then what does that make him? A believer. <laughs> Bites down on something. <laughs> Some like electric charge thing goes off in his mouth. He's dead. End of the episode. Then the other episode season two episode eight truth and consequences we see the bad batch they're sitting around their ship omega is like trying to meditate she said that gunji taught her but doesn't seem to be working the same way she's like talking to echo she's like do you want to try it he says that he doesn't want the solitude he talks about how you know if it wasn't for the others he'd still be a prisoner and then text like oh we have a transmission from captain rex so he wants to use their expertise for mission. And Rucker's like, finally. So he's tired of waiting around for Sid. Rex says that he'll explain everything when they get to Coruscant. Hunter's like, uh, going to Coruscant is a big ask. So then Omega's like, how come? What's Coruscant? So I have to explain to her that Coruscant is a galactic capital and it's the heart of the Empire. Echo says that the Empire thinks that they're dead, but they won't be looking for, you know, for them. Hunter says that he'd like to keep it that way. Rex says that it's a covert mission, simple data extraction, but it's a crucial one. He'll send a safe flight plan so he can avoid the military and coordinates to a safe landing zone. So they approach Coruscant, they land. Rex meets them inside. He's with Senator Chuchi. Uh, Rex takes him inside, shows him the assassin clone. You know, he's dead. His identifying numbers have been wiped. Tech's like, oh, I wasn't aware that was possible. Hunter asks, he's like, who is his target? Rex tells him that a clone contact of his name Slip. They ask, why would a clone target another clone with a senator? 
he says, to silence them. Rampart has the entire Senate believing Camino was lost to a storm. She wanted Slip to testify against Rampart. Echo's like, well, we were there too. It's like, we, you know, it's like, I could be your witness. Hunter's like, the Senate won't listen to any of us. It's like, we're deserters. Rex is like, that's correct. But there is another way to provide info for the Senate, the command log on Rampart's venerator. So Slip made a, compat, a copy of it on the, the ship's backup data banks. The venerator is actually being retrofitted at the Imperial shipyards there on Coruscant. There's lots of security, but he knows a way in. Chuchi says that uh, Rampart's bill goes to vote tomorrow, so they need the evidence before then. Chuchi says that she'll return to try to get some more support from the others in the Senate. Rex says that she could still be a, in danger. Omega's like, I could go with her to keep an eye on her. Chuchi says that, well, you can't enter the Senate without you know, in the Senate district without Imperial security clearance text, like, Oh, that won't be a problem. Cause he can just like forge some credentials. So Chuchi and Omega and one of her guards are walking down this hall. Omega's like, what does the Senator do? And it's like, serve the people, blah, blah, blah. They run into Rampart and Chuchi says that it's like, Oh, you look surprised to see me. He's like, Oh, not at all. He's like, I was just making a few preparations for tomorrow's votes. So I guess he doesn't recognize Omega at all. Cause he doesn't even question like why she, there's a kid there with her. Then he sees uh, Mas Ameda. He's like, oh, if you'll excuse me. Then he goes to talk to him. Ameda asks if he's certain that the senator won't be a problem. And Rampart says, I've taken care of it. It's like, there's nothing else that she can do. Chuchi shows Omega the big Senate room. Each pod belongs to a different representative or delegate. Then Omega's like, which one belongs to the clones? And Chuchi explains that they don't have representation. And Omega's like, why not? They're part of the galaxy too. And Chuchi says that some only see clones as military assets. She's working on changing that. Rampart seems to have this like speech, whatever, going out like on some like intercom about all the new securities and all this stuff, whatever. Chuchi's walking with Organa and says that she has people working on getting evidence. Organa says that if she's determined to see this through, there may be, there may be someone that she should talk to, but her cooperation may not be forthcoming. He's, uh, he's like, Halle Burton. Um, Nosy Omega's like, who's that? Chuchi says that the former, it's a former senator for Camino. She was in like the finance department before she was removed. And she's like, follow the money. It always leaves a trail. So Chuchi and Omega meet with Burton. Chuchi asks about money being siphoned off from the clone funds for the past year. She's like, you must have known about it. She's like, of course I did. So Chuchi's like, well, who diverted the funds? Burton says that she's a fool for bringing her here. And she's like, do you know what happens when you dig around where you shouldn't? The few survivors of Camino are scattered about. She's like, I don't care about them. Omega's like, how can you not care about Camino? Bertoni asks, he's like, why do you care? And Omega's like, because I'm a clone too. It was my home. I, I was there. I saw the Empire destroy everything, and I'm angry. Burton says that she suspected an attack was imminent, um, but Lama Sue was, was arrogant, uh, too confident his clones were a necessity to the empire. So Lamasu was another Kaminoian, whatever, Kaminoian. Chuchi asks if uh, Rampart diverted the funds. You already know the answer, but yes. Chuchi says that she must testify to that in front of the Senate tomorrow because he can't continue to get away with what he's done. Luma says that he's just a cog in a machine. Her word won't do her any good. She needs concrete proof. The other clones are just outside the venerator. They're like, I think they're like some maintenance center or something like that. So Hunter says that he surprised Rex is on Coruscant since it's dangerous. 
he says that it's worth the risk. He's like, more and more of their brothers are, are waking up to what they've done. Hunter asks, he's like, well, how many have you reached? And Rex is like, not enough. Troopers who know too much are a liability to the Empire. So they're spread pretty thin and help's hard to come by these days. So they're, they work their way across the shipyard to the ship. They get on board. They stun some troopers. Then Tech says, oh, that's unfortunate. Energy conduits are offline. The only way to retrieve the data is to reroute the power, which will likely signal a security breach. They have to, no choice to do it. It's detected right away. Other troopers send a squad to check the possible security breach there. Tech's working on getting the file. Um, he disables the door so after they get in there, so it's like locked. And then pew, 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 there's shooting going on. Hostiles are, are detected on the bridge. Data transfer is complete. They activate the cannons, thrusters, kind of cause distractions. The ship's moving a little bit, even though it's supposed to be parked. Uh, they start making their way out. They get into an escape pod. It's not going to take off, but it can eject still. It goes out and it lands pretty hard, but they're pretty close to where they wanted to go. I think Tech is like, oh, it's off by 64 feet or something like that. Uh, Senate hearing, Rampart wants to call for the vote. Chuchi says that they can't take him on his word when he's given reason not to. And he's like, and what reason is that? She says, according to Hallie Burton, he was responsible for diverting Kaminoan funding to outside projects without Senate approval. And you believe the lies of a disgraced senator? Chuchi says that a formal investigation should clear things up unless he wants to tell them now where those funds went. And there's like a lot of murmuring going on in the Senate. So people are like, like, oh, what, what the heck is this? What's going on? Clones drive up. They hand the data to Omega to get to Senator Chuchi. And they're like, hurry. Rampart finally says that he's not at liberty to disclose the nature of certain military operations. He's like, the funds you are referring to were dis redistributed, not misappropriated. Chuchi says that his actions began months before the loss of Topoka City, and it's almost as if he was preparing for it. What exactly are you implying? She asserts that the Kaminoan, Kaminoan <laughs> clothing facilities were intentionally eliminated. There's uproar in the Senate over this. Rampart says that I will not dignify such baseless accusations with more of my time. So he wants to proceed with the vote. Then the one grumpy alien motions that Senator Chuchi be removed from these proceedings and be censored for her misconduct. Another is going to second the motion, but then Omega enters, hands the, the data to Bail Organa. He moves his pot out saying, new evidence has come to light, which must be considered. He hands it over to Senator Chuchi. The angry alien asks, like, what evidence do you have? Chuchi holds it up. The recovered command log from Admiral Rampart's venerator, which indicates his own ships caused the destruction of Topoka City. She shows video footage of the firing upon the city. And then an alarm goes off. Everyone murmurs. And then Palpatine is there. He comes up like from the, the center in the, at the bottom. Rampart like, stands to attention. Masameda says, it would appear that Senator Chuchi's claims are correct. Everyone's like, <gasps> This unprovoked attack on Camino was a cowardly act by Admiral Rampart to further his own agenda. Guards, arrest and detain the Admiral. Troopers grab him. He's like, I was following orders. Then Palpatine speaks. I am deeply troubled by this recent revelation. My gratitude to Senator Chuchi for exposing a rogue element within our ranks. Many lives have been lost. But I assure you, Admiral Rampart will face the consequences for his treachery. However, he did not act alone. The fact that the 
clone troopers under his command so blindly followed orders. Inflicting such carnage without hesitation gives me pause. Perhaps it is time for a change. Now more than ever, building a strong galaxy requires protection and security. Due to the nefarious actions of Rampart and the immediacy of the bill on the floor today, it is my opinion that the legislation is our future. With this momentous act, we shall usher in a new era. And he said, I think he said like era. Or he was, it was like different, weird how he said it. Heralded by the Imperial Stormtrooper. So basically, absolutely no one sees that this is exactly what Rampart want, wanted anyways. So... Palpatine manipulates the situation. Rampart's a fall guy. It's a scapegoat. He still gets what he wants. Rex mentions that Palpatine was always, a, you know, he's talking, they're talking later, that Palpatine was always a step ahead of them during the war, and he's still several steps ahead of them. They played right into his hands. Omega's confused. But we did the right thing. Hunter says, yeah, and he twisted it. Echo says that the fate of all the clones is sealed now because of them. So what's going to happen to them now? Chuchi says she's like she says she won't give up. Then Hunter says, "Echo, wherever you end up, remember what I said." And Omega's confused. Um, Wrecker tells him he's like, "Don't get into any trouble without us." And Omega's like, "Without us?" Tech's like, "Best of luck, Echo." And then the three head to the ship. Omega's like, "Luck with what?" Echo says that he's going with Rex. He's like, "The clones need their help now more than ever. He can't turn his back on them." Omega's like, you can't leave. We're a squad. Echo says that this is something he has to do, going where he's needed. Omega's like, but we need you too. He says, it's not forever. He'll be back. You know, he's like, keep up with your training, understood? And she's like, yeah. She gives him a hug. Yes, sir. And he's like, and keep an eye on them. So she walks off, like looks back, gets on the ship. Ship takes off. That's the end. So now it's just Omega, Hunter, Tech, and Wrecker. So it's only four of them. So the, the, the Bad Batch, the Squad 99, whatever, it's getting smaller and smaller. So that was uh, the next two episodes. I don't know why they did two. I'm just like, are you serious when I saw that? I know it's cool. I know people like it, but yeah, you know what? I'm not going to go there. But that was it. That was Star Wars Bad Batch for this week. With National Treasure, Edge of Victory, Season 1, Episode 10. It's the final episode of the season, Treasure Protectors. So Salazar Hendricks, FBI dude, he stands over to dead Agent Ross. Just cries out, you killed her! And he, he just drops the sword. Billy walks up to him. What are you doing here, Salazar? He says that he's been waiting for this moment for the past 20 years. Then he looks over at Jess and her dad. He's like, why are those two still alive? Billy's like we wouldn't be here without them. So I thought I would keep them around until we found a treasure. Raphael's like, I'm telling you, he killed your brother. Billy just stares at him. He's like, he's going to stab you in the back next. Salazar says that he sees that he's still a liar that he was when he pretended to work with them. Billy's like, Raphael's an even bigger liar now. So she tells a couple, it's like, go guard the road. Casey like hands uh, this one dude, uh, is it Hector, the, the dude that says like he doesn't speak any Spanish, this bag, and she's like, be careful, it has C4. And it just kind of like looks at her dad. So it's like, what's why dimension is C4? Something is going to explode later, right? When they get in a boat, Billy says the, the wayfinder tells him to head south. So she's still got the little compass wayfinder thing in the medallion. 
the rest of the Scooby gang shows up somehow like they arrived that quickly. How the heck did they get there that fast is ridiculous. Tasha's they must have taken a shortcut. <laughs> Tasha's like, they killed Kenny. I mean, they killed Agent Ross. Orin's like, we have to call the police. Tasha says that they haven't had a cell signal since they got there. Orin's like, well, we should go find one. Liam's like, Jess is on, on that boat. He's like, we're not going anywhere. Ethan says that there's one of them and four there's one of them and four of us, but the dude has an assault rifle. Liam's like, well, you know, we can sneak around, you know, from the back and then, you know, while we then you hear, distract me. So this other dude with the pistol, Sully, gets a drop on them. So as they're walking back to like the dock, you know, they're all got their hands up. They're like, the police will be here any minute. If you let us go, we'll say that you helped us. Sully's so like, you're bluffing. It's like, there's no cell phone service out here. Then Tasha's like, who do you think called the FBI agent? And there's more coming. The other guy asks Sully, he's like, what do you want to do with them? And he's like, shoot them and dump them with the gators. He's like, starting with this one, like pointing to Tasha. And then he raises his gun and you're, no, no, no. Orin jumps in front of Tasha. And then on the little bow, the others, pew, pew, you hear gunshots. Uh, so, so someone's dead. And uh, Orin has his eyes closed. Sully and the other dude, they fall. Agent Ross wasn't completely dead. She managed to get her gun, shoot them both. And Tasha's like, Betsy. <laughs> She's on a first name basis with her now. They run to her. Orin's, his hands are still raised. He's like in shock. And Ethan's like, it's, it's a stab. We need to put pressure on it. <laughs> it's like, wait, I thought you were a lawyer. Now you're using his doctorly advice. She got impaled by the sword. You got to put pressure on it. It's like, thanks for that. And then they're like, we need to get her at hospital soon or she'll die. Orin's like, get her, get her to my van. And he's like, they, they force her up even though she's in pain or whatever. Liam, he's like, he tells them to go. He's like, me and Ethan are going to go after Jess. And Natasha's like, go get our girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. And Ethan, like, he points his other boat. We can go on that. Meanwhile, Salazar tells Billy that he was wrong to second guess her all the time. And she's like, that's because you're a man. They did the same thing to Malinche. <laughs> Uh, then the boat stops because it's too shallow for the motor, so they're gonna have to use the poles. Jess looks down, and in this bag, she sees this like this pocket knife tool thing, whatever. It's conveniently halfway like sticking out of the bag. Ethan, Liam, they're now they're using poles on their boat. I don't know if they ever had a motor. Maybe they did. I don't know. Orin, meanwhile, is in a van driving. He's on his phone at the same time trying to get a signal. Tasha's like talking to Ross. He's like, "You have to relax." He's like, "We're gonna get you. You're gonna do this. We're, you'll be fine." Ross says that he's like, if I don't make it, tell the police that Hendricks killed Sandusky. On the boat, they see this big like cloud of smoke, whatever. And Hendricks like, what's that? Raphael's like, Niebla de la Muerte. Billy says that the wayfinder says to keep going. Casey's like, I've never seen fog this thick. <laughs> Raphael's like, I told you, it's the fog of death. Jess is like, he's right. Um, was it Her Her Hernando de Soto? was rumored to have written a letter to the king of Spain about it when he explored the Mississippi in 1541. I guess she just randomly knows that fact. And she's like, he lost a lot of men. Casey's like, is that true? And and she's like, I heard that the, these waters were haunted. Billy's like, they're just trying to spook you. DeSoto didn't lose any men in the fog, only in battles. So Billy randomly knows all those facts as well. Raphael's like, even so, DeSoto died in these very waters. Bad luck for conquistadores. And Hector's like, this place is giving me the creeps. Liam and Ethan, they, they get to the fog, so they're, they're getting closer now. 
Then uh, the boat hits something, and Jess, you know, they kind of like rock a little bit. Jess grabs for the knife or tool thing. Casey's like, we've run aground. Jess says to Hendricks, you're an FBI agent. You took an oath, but you're nothing more than a greedy treasure hunter. Hendricks is like, you got it all wrong, Jess. It's like, we're the good guys. When the secrets of the past get unburied, it rewrites history. It creates conflicts, war. And Raphael's like, you're going to destroy the treasure. Billy's like, nothing more dangerous than the truth. The Pan-American treasure is a political powder keg. Cras est nostrum. Keep the status quo. And just repeats, she's like, cras est nostrum. Tomorrow is ours. I guess she's totally fluent in Latin too as well, right? She knows everything. Hendrix says that tomorrow is ours because yesterday is ours too. Then Casey says that they can't get over to Sandbar, but there's a jetty about 10 yards away. So they're going to have to walk from there. Liam, as they're going, he's like, I feel like we're going circles. Like, do we pass by that tree? He's like, I hope not. Oh, they always talk about being like scouts. I guess Liam didn't get very far. But, of course, Ethan was an Eagle Scout. Oren's driving. He finally, he, I got a bar. He calls 911, says they have FBI agents have been stabbed. They need police and paramedics. He, he's like, we're uh, somewhere in the devil swamp. That, that's going to help a lot. Then he's like, just trace my phone. The others are walking through his trees. Casey's like, oh, it looks like the ruins from an ancient temple or something. It's like, how'd they get all these stones here? They find some skeletons. Are these DeSoto's men? How'd they find this place? Raphael says they probably tortured their daughter to plume serpent. It's like, they're good at that. But then why did they kill each other? Hendrick says maybe they got greedy. And Billy's like, no, you don't get greedy and kill each other until after you find the treasure. Raphael's like, hey, looks like there's something over there. Uh, Hector, no Spanish dude, he goes over to some moss, pulls it off. It's like the statue of a coyote. So Raphael had mentioned in the last episode of Jess to beware the coyote. It's a trickster. It's a trap. Death is around the corner. Then he's like, Raphael's like, are those emeralds in the eyes? Billy's like, we're not here for the jewels. And Hector's like, oh, maybe just a souvenir. So he goes to carve one out with like his knife and then some like, gas shoots out of the mouth into his face. And then he's he starts hallucinating. And he's like, like they're everywhere. He starts shooting. He shoots one of their own guys. And Casey's like, like Hector. And then she sh- shoots him. Liam and Ethan hear the shots. They're like, Jess. <laughs> and they're like, it came from over there. So now they know the direction, I guess. Billy sees that Casey's been shot. And she's like making like a tourniquet with, with her belt on her leg. She's like, I'm okay. Hendrick says that they've lost Justin Raphael. They cut themselves loose. And Billy says, of course, she knows this. They knew the coyote was a trap and they led us right to it. Hendrick says that he's like, they got a head start on us. Billy's like, it doesn't matter. We have the wayfinder. And even if they get lucky, we have guns. They're not leaving with the treasure. Just is like, says that they're going to keep going into in the direction of the Wayfinder, but then they come up to a Mesoamerican statue, and basically there's some clues, like because it, it's you go left or right. You know, it's like kind of pointing in both directions, so, so you're trying to figure out, has to do like with the left hand being bad luck or, what, or something like I don't know. So they, they figure out which way to go. In the van, Ross's phone goes off, and it's Dr. Zeke, the, the mortician dude. Tasha answers, answers it, and she's like, I need your help. Ethan and Liam find the dead bodies. Uh, then Billy, Casey, and Hendrix, they come up to the statue, the, the one statue. They're like, which way? And Billy's like, the wayfinder says both ways. And they're like, why? Billy's like, it's a test. Hendrix says that he knows which way to go because he sees a bracelet on the ground. So he's like, they must have gone that way. Hendrix talks to Tasha. Um, 
So he's like, stab Betsy in the chest with something sharp and hollow. It'll relieve some of the pressure. He's like, use a pen. She's like, I don't have it. She's like, I have an echo-friendly straw. He's like, that'll work. So he tells her she's going to have to be very precise. So she tells Orin to pull over. Jess uh, and dad, her dad apparently found out the temple, the building. Then Jess steps on a trap because they missed this coyote, uh, like rock, totem, sign, whatever. This big cage drops down on them and it's too heavy for them to lift. Orin pulled over. Uh, Zeke's like stabbed below the collarbone, but just don't puncture her lung or she'll die. And he's like, you have to be very careful, very precise. Tasha just does it. So one more thing that Tasha is able to do. So Ross like kind of like sits up and she seems to be feeling a lot better now. <laughs> he's like, okay, I guess that helps. Jess says that maybe they can saw through with the multi-tool. And he's like, okay, go ahead and do it. She's like, I handed it to you. He's like, I don't have it. He's like, I must have dropped it. Uh, Tasha, Oren, they're waiting for the ambulance. And then they're like, where is it? They finally hear some sirens coming. Jess looks at the temple thing. She's like, I can't believe we're going to die so close to finding the treasure. He, Raphael's like, oh, it's all my fault. I should have listened to your mom. And, you know, because she, she said it was going to ruin our lives. And it did. He's like, you shouldn't even be here. You have your whole life. You should be living it. And Jess is like, I'm the one who sold the, the boxes from Billy. I found you in prison. And he's like, I shouldn't have been in prison in the first place. I should have been with you and your mom. And he's like, I miss everything that really matters in life. I missed your first steps, your first word. It's like, she's like, it was mama. And he's like, did your second word happen to be papa? And she's like, caca. But then she said, you know, she gets it. You know, he was right. The treasure represents her family, her heritage. Um, and he's like, yeah, it's her family duty to protect it. I don't know if he failed. He said he failed his grammar. He failed someone. Uh, then Ethan and Liam show up. And Raphael's like, oh, you both look strong. Maybe you can lift it. So Ethan's like looking, we're going to make a lover, <laughs> of course. Billy sees the, uh, another coyote thing. Hendrix throws a rock and a bunch of arrows like shoot, like like hits both sides of the trees. Then he throws another one. He's like, okay, it must be safe. And Billy's like, no, Jess tricked us with the bracelet. We need to go back. I was like, of course she knows. Um, so the lever happens to be working. And then you can see it. So they found this like kind of like a bamboo branch. It's starting to crack. Jess crawls under it. And then... It's about the, the, the branch cracks just as Raphael's going. He barely makes it. I thought he was going to get impaled or get smashed. Ross gets put in the back of the ambulance. Tasha's like, we have to go back. He's like, we can't just do nothing. It's like, what, what are you going to be able to do? And how are you going to find him? Raphael says that they have to go in and take out as much of his treasure as they can before Bill and the others arrive. Ethan says that if Orrin and Tasha get to the police, they'll only be able to take them to the docks. He's like, I got to go back and guide them. Casey tells Billy that she just needs a second. Her, her leg is hurting, so she's resting. And then Billy, or not Billy, then Hendrix shoots her. And Billy's like, no. She goes down to her, and she looks at Hendrix. He's like, she was a liability. That's exactly what he said about her brother. So she thinks back to Raphael telling the story. And then she's like, so it's almost like you shouldn't tip him off yet. But she's like, Raphael is right. You killed my brother. Hendrix is like, the cause is the most important thing. Casey was slowing us down. So that's why she had to die. Same thing with Sebastian. He's like, the, the cause chose me. I earned the title, Salazar. And then she shoots him. Billy shoots Hendrix with Casey's gun. And then she takes the necklace. She puts it on. I'm Salazar now. Because <laughs> again, Salazar is a title. 
Raphael, Jess, and Liam, they find this like statue thing or whatever face on a temple. So it's supposed to be like the God of War protecting it. And so Raphael's like, oh, there must be a lever somewhere under. And then Jess like slaps his wrist. She's like, dad, what are you thinking? She's like, you call me dad. And she's like, it could be a trap. He's like, you said it was a God of War. It's like, it could take your hand off. He's like, good point. I'll just use my left. He sticks his hand in before she can stop him into this opening. Just you see from the inside, full of spider webs and everything like that. He's like, "There's something in there." Then you hear, chuk, 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 chuk. "It's like some gears and stuff like that." Camera zooms in. You see the, the gears moving or like that, and then the door slides open, and then there's like gunfire. Billy arrived there. Just she's how'd she get there? I guess because they had to dodge the trap, whatever. So they make it inside. She's still shooting while they're, they're inside. Then Jess steps on something on the floor, and the door closes like right as Billy gets to the door, and she has no idea like how to open it. So they've reached the entrance to the treasure room, and Jess steps on this other title. There's these tile, and there's these two like big pillars in the front. They 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 rotate a little bit. Then Raphael steps down on one. Then Liam steps on one. So it's like, wait, is this a good or bad thing? But then there's like these arrows poking out. So it's like if they move to every time they step, it's rotating closer and it's probably going to shoot them. So there's a bunch of symbols on each tile. There's like a jaguar protecting the treasure, blah, 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 whatever. So they have to get past them. Uh, and, uh, but again, there's arrows on these pillars. So finally, just like, it's a puzzle. And Liam's like, and you love those. So Billy isn't sure how to enter. She's still looking there trying to figure it out. Jess looks at the symbols. They kind of like start glowing and you know really focus on them. She thinks back to the symbols in the book. She's able to eliminate some of them. She's like, the daughters use three distinct serpent uh, symbols to represent themselves. Raphael's like, it's a rule of three. Three boxes, three tiles. Liam's like, Aztec, Inca, Maya. Jess points out there's an Incan symbol, five tiles in front of Liam. So he moves, he steps forward to um, the pillars rotate a little bit. And then He's like, are you sure about this? And she's like, I am. And then I am too. He leaps the other three, jumps on it. They kind of keep turning. And she's like, they won't stop until we're on all three of the, the, the symbols. So then she sees the, the Mayan symbol by her, her dad. So it, it's like uh, four tiles to the right. It'll take two jumps. Jump, jump. The pillars rotate, shoot more. You know, second jump, move some more. Then she sees the Aztec one. Liam's like, that's a lot of steps. So she jumps once. Raphael says that he doesn't think that she has more than one step left. She's like, I think you're right. So she tries. She manages to jump. She barely makes it. She almost falls, falls back. Then this circular opening door rolls, slides open. The pillars rotate back. They all kind of laugh. They start to enter. Billy, meanwhile, is outside looking around. She's still trying to get in. They enter the room. There's something really big. It's, it's like dark in there. You can kind of make out stuff. Raphael's like, it's a lightning stone. So they kind of rotate the base a little bit, and then it lights up. I don't know if it's from the skylight or the light shines, and it just it lights up the whole room. The door is closed behind them, though, and then Billy sees something. Uh, she sees something like click outside. Inside, they all see like the treasures in there. It's like super bright. Raphael and Jess hugged. They're happy. They're excited. And then Billy somehow, so I don't know how she figured it out, but she enters. She has her gun out. Uh, the pillars are rotating inside the treasure room. They're marvel. They're looking at all this stuff. It's like the daughters really did it. Liam says that he wishes his dad and his grandpa were there. There's a picture of Milinche 
Um, then she's like, my mom was right. Liam says that, but we're locked in. So how are we going to get out? Raphael's like, oh, there has to be a way out. And then whoosh, big explosion by the doorway. They go flying back. There's like, you know, rocks hitting. They get hit and stuff like that. B stupid Billy enters in the doorway with her gun out. So I don't know if she had C4 with her, but I don't know if she was carrying anything. Somehow she blows it up. Jess's vision is blurry. And, you know, she's even got, like, cut in her forehead. She got hit. Bailey's like, this is personal now, Jess. You led me to those traps. But it's like, boo-hoo. How many people have you killed and whatever? And then she's like, Casey's dead because of you. Was, uh, actually, it was because of Hendrix. <laughs> now you and all this history are about to burn. She picks up, like, a piece of, like, something that's got, like, a, some fire on it from the explosion. But then Jess is twirling Ebola. <laughs> Put that down, Billy. Billy turns and shoots right at Jess. But she shot a mirror that's conveniently right there. And then Jess throws the bola because I guess she's an expert bola thrower. It wraps around Billy's ankle, causes her to fall as she tries shooting. Um, and then Ethan says, look out. And he like kicks as she tries shooting again. Wait, it's like, how did Ethan get there? Billy grabs a staff, knocks Ethan's legs out from under him. Liam and Billy both go for the gun, but Liam gets it first. He holds at Billy. Told you I was coming for you. So it's like, wait a minute. Don't get cocky, kid, especially when you're that close to her. But then Jess sees that her dad, is. He, she sees his hand. There's like some stones on top of him, so he's like buried. Is he dead? Liam hands a gun to Ethan to help Jess because I guess he's got bigger muscles. Jess is like crying. Oh, dad, like, dad, wake up. I never told you. You said you failed me. You mattered to me my whole life. She's like crying. Then Raphael gasps. He sits up and she's like, you're alive. He's like, oh, I thought it was a dream. They hug. Liam goes to Ethan. I thought you went to get help. He says he was going to, but then he saw Billy. So he followed her. He's like, but I left the smoke signal because he's a, eagle scout you can hear like a helicopter in the distance even though they're inside this super thick stone temple so then there's lots of officers outside inside they're all in, over in this treasure room it's like shouldn't you try and be preserved this not having all these people in there billy's getting led away by a state trooper just like hold on this lady has a bad habit of taking things that don't belong to her so she takes her necklace back Billy's like, you know what you've done is going to cost lives. And Jess is like, you are right about the truth being dangerous. It's going to put you in jail for a long, long time. So she takes, gets taken away. Liam comes up to her. So, and she's like, how did you find us? Or how'd you find me? And he's like, the bracelet. But she's like, that was a trick for Billy. He's like, yeah, that's why I went the other way. He's like, I guess I'm just getting to know you. They both chuckle. Smooch. Ethan's watching like a creep. Natasha's like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I am. Oren comes up to him. He's got like a couple like gold things. He's like, we just made history, whatever. And they're like, he's like, we found a treasure. Ethan's like, you know we can't keep it. He's like, yeah. Like, really? Like none of it? Then he's like, let's take a selfie with the treasure. Then uh, they're about to take a picture. And then Tasha starts kissing Oren. She like pulls his head. And and Ethan's like, Whoa. and just is like, hey, are you two? And Orin's like, yeah. And Tasha's like, 100%. So then all five of them are going to take a selfie. Raphael walks up. He's like, the mistake I made 20 years ago is I tried to do this by myself. Because he sees like all the friends are together and that's how they were able to do it. He puts his hand on his heart. He's like, gracias. And just is like, yeah, it's good to have friends and family. So they call him into the picture. He's like, me? He's like, this is my first selfie. Then it cuts to National Museum of Artifacts. 
Malinche and the Pan American Treasures exhibit. <laughs> Agent Ross and Zeke, the doctor, step out. There are a bunch of reporters like pointing microphones at them. <laughs> It's like, what do you want to talk to them about at this? How'd you find, how's, I don't know. So they don't say a word. They're just standing there. And it's just like, it's kind of weird, kind of awkward. The gang's all there inside. Uh, Jess does not wearing a necklace anymore. It's in a case. Cause I guess it's, it's part, even though I was like, how old, I guess it could have been passed down and passed down or whatever. So maybe it's super old, I guess. It's got the wayfinder and all there. Uh, then they seen this other kid. There's a, a drawing of Jess's mom. So it turns out that Raphael drew it. And Norm's like, come on, man. You got some levels, dude. <laughs> I, I never heard that expression. I'm not young and hip, I guess. Then Liam comes up to him. He's like, oh, I'm sorry I'm late. I lost track of time. He's like, I was cleaning out my grandpa's study, and I found a tape in a box of my dad's old stuff. It's, it's, all, it's about the Pan American treasure. And Raphael's like, well, maybe the curators can add it to this collection. Liam's like, it can't. And Jess is like, why not? He sighs, clicks his tongue, because there's this other thing on it. And Orrin asks, other treasure-ish thing? You could say that. The end. So whether or not there's a season two, they got another treasure to go searching for. There's more to the story than just that. I, I would, I'll admit I would watch a season two. This show is super-duper cheesy at times, super-duper eye-rolling at times. But I, I, I like the mystery of the treasure. I, I think it was enough to keep me interested. Not great, not perfect, but it, it was a fine show. So, and I, I think it's kind of ambitious. I think to 10 episodes, that's, that's a lot that they did that. You know, they could have tried, they probably could have cut it down to eight. But I, I like the fact that they did 10. They filled up 10 episodes, and I, I thought they did a, a, good, a good job with it. So, not, again, like I said, not the best show ever, not perfect, but I enjoyed it. So, that was National Treasure, Edge of History. All right, now with Velma. Uh, so the last two episodes dropped. Whether it's it's last two episodes of seasons, is it getting a second season? I don't know. Uh, I've been covering the two seasons, or, or two seasons. I've been covering the two episodes every week. I just, I kind of got slammed towards the end of the week, and I didn't, I still haven't finished. I need to, to finish. I'm like halfway through the last episode. But what I kind of decided as I was going through it, because I actually kind of paused it because then I shifted over to Harley Quinn. I was like, you know, maybe I'm going to go a little easy on myself. And maybe I just, I will, um, I will only do episode nine this week, save the final episode for next week. So one, we get to cover it for one more week. And two, because like, you know, there's not going to be a National Treasure next week. So there's like one less show. So maybe, you know, it'll kind of balance things out or whatever. And, and also just to kind of keep you in suspense, but in case you're just listening in it. So with the show, you know, it's, uh, the show is questionable. You know, it's, it's, I can't say it's a good show. There's, there's a, a lot that just really bothers me. I mean, Velma is not a nice character. I mean, she sucks. And I, I don't understand the idea. You know, it's, it's one thing. I thought the idea was let's, let's make Velma a tougher character, stand out. You know, she can, you know, speak for herself or anything. And she does that. And, you know, whether she's, you know, exploring her, her sexuality even, you know, whether, you know, because she's got a crush on Daphne and, and this, or, you know, she also, she liked Fred and she liked Daphne. And so, you know, all that's great and everything. But she's just so, um, so selfish and it's it's like it's not even funny. It's just it's ridiculous. I mean, she's like, is, is she like a like a psychopath? I mean, I don't even know. She's just she has like no concern for others, as, as, and things really start to explode here. 
So, with episode nine, Family Woman, I don't know, Family Man, Family Woman, it starts off at, um, oh, so last episode, you know, they found Dia, they found Velma's mom, and then it comes down to, it's like, who kidnapped you? And then she's like, oh, I didn't tell you? And she's like, it's, I can't remember. So, she's at the hospital, they take her to Crystal Cove Hospital, um, she doesn't remember who who took her or the hot girls. Velma's like, well, amnesia's curable, right? And then she's like, this is so stupid, but it kind of made me laugh. This is so stupid. She's like, we just need a ladder and a coconut. <laughs> so then, you know, everyone's like at hospital. Norvell's dad's reading the chart. And and she's like, wait, why are you reading this? You know, because he's just a counselor or whatever. And the, the nurse says that their insurance only covers a diagnosis in applesauce. So they don't have a doctor to really go through things. So he says that it, it appears that she's put up a, like a wall to mentally block out the past two years or something like that. So if her memories are going to return, it'll be within the next 72 hours. After that, they're gone forever. And everyone's like, gone forever? <laughs> Except Fred, he's he kind of comes in late, and he's like, "Can we do that again?" It was dumb. Norville's dad said that if they can keep Dia happy, her memory should come back within that time frame. And he's like, "Has there been any changes at home that she might find upsetting?" And then Velma starts sweating. Dia sees Sophie with the baby standing next to Velma's dad, and she's like, "Aman, why is the Spooner's waitress who used to flirt with you here?" And then Sophie just kind of hisses at Adam. She's like, "You didn't tell her." Velma jumps in. It's like it's like oh you know we just found someone that you didn't like in, in case we need an uh, an organ transplant and he just she like shoves her out of the room. So then Velma she goes to the house and she says that they need to make it look like the dump it was before because it's really spotless. So it's like turning over the couch cushion is just all nasty and getting the floor dirty and all this stuff. Daphne shows up. She's like, I, I know it's all about you right now, you know, with your mom. She's like, but it's hard for me to concentrate since, you know, Velma said that they should try being girlfriends. And then she says that the, the brains were throwing themselves a welcome home party this weekend. And she was thinking that they could dramatically upstage them by going as a couple. And Velma's like, that'd be great. She's like, but I don't even know if I'd be invited. Uh, and then, She's like, since getting rescued from the caves, the brains are more popular than ever. Daphne is like, oh, just relax. She's like, I'm popular enough for both of us. So then they're about to kiss, but then her mom comes home. So she shoves Daphne outside because, you know, she hears like, like a heart pull up, whatever like that. Shoves her outside where it's like Sophie and the baby are and like Norville's like just laying in a pile of junk. So she just keeps shoving everything outside, I guess. As um, Amon like walks her in, he he says like oh it's weird that you remember Sophie the waitress from Spooners but not who kidnapped you and she's like as weird as you remembering her name but not where you put your wedding ring so Velma opens the door she's like welcome home mom and her eyes are glowing she's like I'm home but then she's like I can't really see anything and Velma's like it's like oh yeah you know you left your glasses and I took your new glasses and so she like wants them back but you know they still have her old pair because so her glasses fell off in a car tonight she disappeared then Dia remembers something. So she was looking in the paper and she saw an ad for new glass, the new glasses frames. And then there's a real estate ad for the Jones, you know, creepy manor or whatever. So she says to Velma that it was when she was deciding to buy new frames that she learned about Dr. Edna Perdue. Velma says, she's like, it's working. And then she pulls out the, the Christmas gift that she, she got her. She's like, do you remember this? 
And Dia's like, oh, that, that's a present you forced me to buy because you ruined Christmas, uh, you know, solving one of your, your mysteries, right? Then she's like, wait, were you annoying back then? And Velma's like, uh, nope, it's like false memory. But she's like, still, I swore I wouldn't open until I, I find you, which means, and she's like, starts unwrapping it. She's like, please don't be a puppy. Please don't be a puppy. She opens it. It's just a pair of shoes in there, like red Mary Janes. And she's like, oh, that's it, whatever. And Dia's like, well, you were a little girl when I bought those. And then she's like, oh, you grew up and I missed it all. And she starts getting upset. So Velma has to try calming her down. At school, Daphne says, hey, girlies, to the brains. But Gigi Olive, I think her name's Olive, and this other girl, they kind of turned her backs on her. Krista Brain says that, that Daphne tried to leave them for dead in the mines. So her popularity is officially revoked. And she's like, please update your status to loser across all platforms. As she walks away, Fred's like, welcome to exile. He's like, I'm out for two-timing the brains in the caves. He's like, even a girl who pretends she's a cat won't talk to me anymore. So there's this girl in trees like licking her hand. And Daphne's like, oh, please. She's like, those girls can't decide if, if I'm popular. Society's obsession with looks does. And then the girl in the tree like spits a hairball at her or something like that. Norville is in a like a fencing state championship match and then stupid this is the thing that's annoying velma comes up to him to the mat she's like i need your help and he's like not now velma he's like in the middle of the match he's like this is for the state championship and she's like oh it's not for the whatever virgin con he's like no that's tomorrow so then he tells her he's like oh just tell me what you need so she holds her phone up to his face like in, again he's in the middle of a fencing match you know she, she's running out of her time she put a, a timer you know 72 hours on her phone for her mom to get her memory back she's running out of time and she needs him to break into his mom's office principal and change her grades and print her a new report card because she was like oh are you still a valedictorian she's like uh yeah you know she's not so he's like wait what and then the other guy jabs him and this like banner falls, a confetti comes out, a bunch of cash goes flying down. The like the banner is like one million dollar prize. So she's like, Oh, are you done now? She's like, Can you do it? And he just like glares at her. Because again, she's so incredibly selfish, she could care less about anything else. So at lunch, Daphne sees the three girls and her brains at a lunch table, and she's relieved because she looks like they saved her a seat. But then Olive moves a brain jar in that spot, and she's like, keep walking. And she's like, oh, whatever. She's like, watch this. She goes over to the jock table. She's like, hey, boys, mind if I... And then they put their helmets in there, like a jar of steroids like, you know, to block her from putting her tray down. Then the rest of the school, like, they do the same thing. Uh, the Like, one of the girls has her phone out to record all this. Daphne's like, the only seat left is at the table by the garbage. It turns out Fred is there. And so she goes over there. He, like, mumbles her for her to stop. There's, like, a bunch of stuff around his face. I don't know if it's garbage or just bees but there's just everything he's like any movement will upset the garbage bees he's like my only hope is to be accepted as their queen she's like but the only other place to sit is out in the sun and i'll freckle then someone's like incoming losers and throws like a drumstick or whatever hits fred in, in the face and all the bees start singing him nighttime norville gives velma a fake report card she thanks him for being an incredible friend then they hear a crash and like someone like runs by to you know, inside the window. So she's like, oh no, the serial killer is here to finish a job and it's your fault for taking so long to finish the fake report card, which again, just incredibly selfish and annoying. Inside, they find Sophie. She says that, you know, in Velma's rush to throw them out, Amanda's blanket got left behind and she can't sleep without it. 
So then the light turns on and you hear, throw you out? So it's Dia. She's like, wait, you live here? Aman, did you have an affair and a baby while I was, while I was, wait, what happened to me again? Vilma says, she's like, she's freaking out. She's forgetting everything. So Vilma tries making excuses. She's like, it's not dad's baby. It's like, and she looks at her phone. She has like, still has like 42 hours left. Dia's like, then why are they here? And Velma's like, the baby's mine. He, he's mine. And Norville's like, she, because the baby's a she. Then Dia's like, well, who's the father? And the only acceptable answer is that you sat in a public to toilet seat, which we've talked about. So she goes through some stuff with her. Then she's like, and uh, Norville is, or the father is Norville. And then Dia, Dia faints. So she's lying on the sofa. Aman asks Velma, why would she say that the baby was hers? And she, you know, because she's like, she already had an unwanted baby in her life. And Velma says that they have to protect her memory. Anything's better than learning that your husband cheated on you the instant you were kidnapped. And Sophie's like, it wasn't the instant she was kidnapped. It was six weeks. So Dia wakes up and she says that she's okay. You know, they're going to talk about her baby in a second, but that's not why she passed out. She was overcome by another huge memory. She was in the basement of Fred's house before he moved in. So in a flashback, the lab entrance was bricked up. Fortunately, Dr. Purdue's journals showed a secret way in. So you basically just you know shimmy down uh, through the well. She says that her having kid with Norville is better than Aman cheating on her. And she so then she takes Amanda and he says that if this is her incredibly cute granddaughter, then why is the waitress in the house? Velma's like, uh, Sophie's my boss at Spooner's, and uh, we asked her to watch Amanda while you know she recovered, you know, your, her memory. And Norville, then Norville just like takes off. Velma is alone with Amanda, and you know, because it's supposed to be her her baby, so she falls asleep, and then she wakes up to find Amanda like without her diaper and it's like i don't know if she's about to poop on her or something like that then norville busts in with like a brand new diaper like oh. next day amanda's crying and dia's like oh she looks like she's hungry velma opens the door and sees daphne out there and daphne said that you know she might be on the outs with the brain so she doesn't think that they can go to the party and velma's like she's like oh that's fine she's like i don't care about that she's like i just want to be with you then dia's like oh it's it's you you know it's good to see you you know, and she's like, Velma told me that, you know, you were Amanda's grandmother. And she she's like, I always thought that, you know, Daphne would be the, the first to get knocked up. And she's like, wait, what? So Velma tells Daphne, pretending that, you know, she and Norville had a baby to protect her mom's memories. And Daphne's like, you know, pretending to be in a relationship gives Daphne an idea on how to, you know, be popular again. So she goes to Fred's. Uh, his mom brings Daphne to see him. They find his head in the toilet bowl, and he's he's like, oh, I was practicing getting swirly, and I must have passed out. So he doesn't know how much longer he can stand being unpopular. He's like, how do network sitcoms handle it? So Daphne says that, you know, they always did better together. So she's thinking that they faked a dramatic public reunion that they could capture the hearts and minds of the student body and be popular again. So at school the next day, the limo pulls up. Daphne gets out. And a nerd says a couple jocks, did Fred drive Daphne to school? The doc's like, I, I, I know they're social pariahs now, but this is huge. And you know, it takes a long, long, huge. Uh, then he he took a picture of Daphne getting out, and he's like, you know, sending it out to everyone in this context list. Daphne busts into the science room, slaps Fred hard, 
and you know she's in tears like her makeup's totally running <laughs> fred is like almost like starts crying and everyone's like <gasps> they're like taking pictures and someone's like i love her their love at lunch they go and sit out in the sun daphne has an umbrella and then a couple of other jocks sitting next to each other they're like mm? so they they go out and follow and a nerd he's like pack it up tables are done and that the three girls and the brains are you know left eat, sitting alone at night, Dia sees Velma, Amanda, and Norville sleeping in her bed. Then she gets another memory flash. So Dia's in, in the lab, and she walks up to this dude. He's wearing a welder's mask, and she, like, yells. The next day, Velma wants to print a fake headline about a heroic teen mom, you know, makes her cousins look like garbage because it's supposed to be, like, something, whatever, you know, competition between her and her cousins. Uh, Norville doesn't want to do it because of his journalistic integrity, you know, to ruin it or whatever. And then she says that this could make her mom happy and remember everything. So then Velma goes to Norville's dad's office because Amanda needs a diaper change. And she's like, oh, are you, looking, are you excited to see someone? You know, he, she basically is trying to pawn her off. But then she sees a, the Weller's mask like in a, this box on the floor. And then he walks in like kind of all creepy. And he's like, oh, has your mother regained her memory yet? So is he the killer? At Norville's, then they're, you know, so it's like, wait, what happened between those two scenes? So they're playing board game, and he says that he's worried about Velma because he hasn't spoken to her since this afternoon. But then cops, cops bust through the windows and the door. Norvell's dad's like, oh, is this a prank? Then Velma comes in and is like, what was this welder's mask doing You know, at your desk? And then he says to Norvell, he's like, guilty as charged. So then he, he apparently he handcrafted a sword with etchings, and Velma's like, that could just be a cover story. And Norvell like pulls up this out this messed up sword, and she's like, "Oh yeah, no, he definitely made that." So Daphne is is at Fred's. She tells him and his mom that she got just got a text from Brenda. You know, no hard feelings. She mentions how good it'll be when she and Velma show up as a couple. Then Fred's like, "But everyone's expecting us to show up together." And she says that she can't pretend. You know, they can't pretend to date forever. But then Fred's mom says that. As much as it shocks her to say this, Fred is right. People expect them to go together, and it's not forever, just until she's popular enough to do whatever she wants, like like a homophobic chicken sandwich chain. Then she asks if she'd consider interning for, you know, I, then Fred goes off somewhere or something like that, or, you know, because he, he wasn't there. So she's like, asks if, she's, if she would consider interning for her at Jones Gentleman's Accessories, because if she can make Fred popular, she'd love to see what she could do with a $90 headband. And Daphne's like, like, really? Oh, my God. She's like, yes. And here's an idea. Make the headband tiny. Then it's for dogs. And then she's like, you're welcome. So her, uh, Fred's mom loves the idea. But she's like, but let's keep it between us for now. It's like not everyone in the company is, is as receptive to outside ideas as I am. And Fred's dad happens to be spying through like a painting on a wall, like looking through the eye holes. But it's like, why would he have the the opportunity or the, the way to spy in Fred's room. That just seems really creepy. So now Norville is mad that Velma accused his dad of being a serial killer without even telling him. And she's like, I know, but you know, I saw the welder's mask and I freaked out. And she's like, and I wanted you to finish the headline about me for the paper, which, you know, did you do it? Because I noticed that you had time for a board game with your parents. And he's like, I can't believe it. And this is again, exactly how I feel. He, he you know, he's like, I, I put you above everything in my life, but I draw a line at my family. He's like, if our situations were reversed, you'd have left me for dead after my first hallucination. And she's like, but I was worried. 
And then Velma notices Amanda like rolling away in the street because she's again so selfish and that. so she's like running after her. She's just rolling down the street because she's wrapped up like a burrito in a blanket. Just rolling, rolling, rolling. Rolls into heavy traffic and cars are smashing everything. She rolls into the museum of soft and harmless things, which great, right? But then it gets hit by a wrecking ball. But then Velma sees it. She rolled out the back. So she's like so running after her. Fred and Daphne are, are dancing. Everyone claps that are at the party. Then uh, Brenda Brain, she's like, oh, look at the happy couple. So happy. Or are they just faking it to be popular? <gasps> People gasp. Then Brenda says to, to prove it. She's like, kiss. And then the crowd goes like, woo. So they're all nervous and everything like that. And Brenda's like, kiss or all your popularity goes away forever. And Daphne's like, oh, easy. Smooch. Everyone's like, ah. But then you hear, what the actual hell? So Velma and Amanda arrive. And again, Velma is just so incredibly annoying. And she's like, I made Amanda roll here just to find her mom. Which is like, what? So I don't know if they're at Spooner's at having a party there. Aman and Dia walk in and she's like, your mom? It's like, Velma, what are you talking about? Then Velma asks her mom, she's like, what are you doing here? Aman said that the brains invited them when they learned that Dia was in the caves with them. And Chris is like, and TBH, we thought she'd be cool and order us alcohol. Velma then then notices Amanda's like breastfeeding with Sophie. And then Velma's phone alarm goes off. And then dad's like, the 72 hours are up. She didn't remember who took her and the brains. So we have to tell her the truth. And Dia's like, no need. I figured it out. You did have an affair while I was kidnapped and a child. And he says, uh, both of those only happened after we fell in love. Velma says, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, we lied, but we're just trying to help you remember. And she's like, oh, but I do. And she's like, oh, my God, I remember who the serial killer is. And Velma's like, how? She's like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just relieved to finally be free of my loveless and sexually unfulfilling marriage. And he's like, rude. And she's like, it's, <gasps> you know, some people guess, it's, and other people, <gasps> it's, end credits. But then we see the lab. The welder's mask walks up to a glass jar, lifts the mask, and as you see a face, it's like, wait, who is that supposed to be? I couldn't really tell. And then Dia's like, it's me. And Chris is like, okay, you are so ordering us alcohol now. And that's the end. So Dia's the serial killer? What? What the heck? And on that, I'm going to leave you with that cliffhanger because, uh, yeah, like I said, I haven't finished it. I'm like halfway through the next episode, so... What? How could she be the serial killer? Why would she be the serial killer? Does that even make sense? Does it add up? You will have to wait till next week. But you can watch it on HBO Max if, if you're dying to know what happened. Okay, and now the main feature is Harley Quinn, a very problematic Valentine's Day special, a.k.a. Season 3, Episode 11. Because uh, that's how it's listed in HBO Max. When you go to search for it, you have to go to season three. There was originally 10 episodes. The season ended how long ago? I don't remember. Uh, so it, it is, it's it's not just a regular episode. It's it's basically a double episode because the episodes are usually like 22 minutes and this one is 44 minutes. So whatever. Um, like I said, I explained at the beginning of the show mishap i didn't go see magic mike i'm not gonna see titanic um 
So Harley Quinn, I actually, if you've been listening and you know, I've been getting a little tired of Kaylee Cuco just yelling her lines and I'm not blaming her in particular. So I'm sure it's a voice directing what the character. I love Harley Quinn, but sometimes it's just, I feel like it's in this portrayal. She's all she's doing is screaming. And it, it just, it gets to be a bit much. The, the, the show, I, I do adore the show because I, I think it's it's very out there and it just takes a lot of risk and, you know, it insults everything, you know, and it, it takes a, a lot of confidence to insult your your own stuff, like, you know, the way they do here. You know, Batman is so, like, emasculated in here and he's, like, the number one, you know, money generator for the whole company. So it's, it's the fact that they're willing to do stuff like that, it's 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 kind of nice even though there's one part that they had to cut out whatever and we're not going to get into that so let's just get into this so it starts off with like throughout the episode you see different couples like being interviewed on a couch like starts off with superman and lois and they're talking about how they both moved to metropolis i'm going to spoil this whole episode by the way because just like i do all the other harley quinn episodes so they they talk about how they both moved to metropolis at the same time they they lived in the same block they even worked at the same you know the daily planet for three years they never met and and then one day she was like on the f train and metallo attacked or whatever derailed the train and then i guess superman caught it and set it on lex tower just so he could talk to her or something like that i don't know and then we have Harley saying how she loves Valentine's Day, and we see like different things. Uh, we see like Riddler gets down on a knee, proposes a clock king. Selena gives Bruce a box of bat-shaped chocolate in prison, says that he can eat as much as he wants, no judgment. We see Joker snuggling, snuggling with his suburban wife. I can't remember if his wife or his girlfriend in their you know their house and in, in the couch in front of a tv and we see kite man and his girlfriend a golden glider they're flying in the sky and everything like that so ivy she's not crazy about valentine's day she says it's just an extremely wasteful holiday in terms of like non-biodegradable packaging not to mention it's an annual mass genocide for roses harley says but it's their very first valentine's day together and ivy finally says she's like okay fine you know we can do something because you know she just wanted to watch this one show just like binge watch it whatever she's like as long as it's low key she's like i'll, I'll go change out of my binging sweats or whatever and we see clayface i wasn't super crazy about the clayface storyline in here he's talking about you know meeting someone online ivy comes out you know after changing and she's looking, she's like, that's that's totally Jason Momoa. You're getting catfish. But then he's like saying something, well, whatever. Then we see at the Legion of Doom, Riddler's like heating up some tea, some tea in, in the break room. And then Bane comes in. He's like, oh, Clark King said you're going to a painting and wine drinking event tonight for Valentine's Day. And then he's like saying how he wishes he had someone, you know, he's on all the dating sites, but I can't get past the profiles. The grammar is horrible. It's anyway, there is no S. Because you keep saying it's like, anyways, and anyways, anyways, <laughs> Harley takes Ivy to Mama Macaroni. There's this, this special plate is brought out. It's from the, the chef's experimental menu. It has like these vegan and some other stuff that, that Ivy likes. And Harley's like, oh, what are the odds that they would have all your favorite things here? And and Ivy's like totally loving it. She's like, oh, you got to get into these. It's like, this is amazing. And then as a waiter pours him some more wine, he gets shot. And, and like blood splatters on him just these gangsters barge in the restaurant and the dude in charge he's like if the chef doesn't hand over his recipe for those lazit balls he's like we'll blow this whole restaurante back to the old country so then the chef 
runs out with the recipe. He's like, take it, take it. Just, just don't hurt nobody. So then Harley and Ivy, they run out at their thugs. And Ivy's like, they, we have to do something. It's like, they, we can't let that recipe fall in the wrong hands. So the car is driving by Gotham Park so Ivy can use the plants because it's like supposed to be the most veg- vegetated part in the Gotham City, whatever. So these vines grab this car, whatever. And then Ivy yells at the dude, like, fork the recipe over. And this other thug's like, we're just a middleman. It's like, we were hired by the CEO of Luxor Oil. And this helicopter lands. Then Ivy calls for some more vines. The propeller actually, she grabs a helicopter with the vines and tilts the helicopter. And the blades chop up the the CEO dude. And then Ivy, uh, you know, she grabs the recipe from the, the one thug. But then she sees that it's just a Valentine's Day card from Harley. She's like... She asked Harley, she's like, was this, did you set all this up for me? And the thugs are like clapping. And then she's like, what about the CEO? And Harley's like, oh, that was actually the, the CEO. And I, you thought you would enjoy that or because, you know, it was an oil company and everything. So then next we see like Hawkman and, and uh, Hawkgirl on the couch are talking about how you know, when they first met, you know, he like fell for her and he got married because, you know, she didn't have a choice because it was ancient Egypt, Egypt or whatever. Then, but they were, weren't married that, that long because they uh, got, they died and, and got reincarnated, but then got back together and blah, blah, blah. Clayface is going to meet his date. Um, but then it turns out to be like Captain Boomerang meets him or something like that. And they, they get in a fight and he gets like chopped in half. It's like, okay. This lady in a trench coat sees Bane and she's like, hurry up. She's like, come on. So um, she's in this like leather outfit. She says her name is Betty. Um, I don't remember if that was her her stage name or her real name, whatever. And so they're supposed to be doing like some hanky panky or something like for some guy who hired them. Cause you know, so I guess she's in the leather outfit. So she assumed that he was the guy she's supposed to meet. Cause he's like in a leather outfit, whatever. Then we see Wonder Woman's drinking. She sheds a tear. She's like, Oh, Steve. She's looking at a picture. There's a knock on a door. It's Harley, like in an armored outfit. She's like, Themyscira needs your help. It's under attack by some dudes. And she shows Wonder Woman a video. Um, from Hipp- Hippolyta. She's like, you're our only hope, whatever. And so Wonder Woman takes off, but Harley yoinks her lasso as she, as she like goes by her. It turns out the video is from a cameo. Or like, a, was it, is that what it's called? Cameos that where you pay people to do a video? I don't know why that doesn't sound right now. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So apparently Harley paid Hippolyta, it was like $15 or something to, to make this message. Then we see, I think it was Killer Croc and the Chantress talking about whatever. Um, I wasn't really paying attention to these couples talking. So I don't, I don't feel like it really added a whole lot, but that's just me. So Clayface sees that he's been chopped in half by Boomerang. He has this long conversation about being lonely, and then his bottom half starts like it makes a face out of its butt and starts talking to him or whatever. Ivy's drinking tea. Uh, then a lasso goes around her. She thinks she's being attacked. And she's like, uh, you know, vines and stuff, almost like stabs Harley. Then she's like, Harley asked her if this was the best Valentine's Day ever. She like struggles and she's like, "Uh, no, but it was top three. So Harley's upset because she's like with Joker. She made sure every Valentine's Day was better than the last one. Uh, But Ivy's like, she's like, you know, but it doesn't matter. It's just a day. She's like, you know, I'm I'm, you got to understand. I'm not the Joker. She's like, I just want to watch something and just go to bed. And Harley's like, okay. She's like, but let me just go change she goes in the bathroom or whatever sneaks out out the window 
Bane asked Betty, like, how would you get into this line of work? Because, you know, there's lots of handcuffs, accessories, uh, phallic-shaped accessories. They have this guy strapped to his chair. He has, like, a like a ball gag in his mouth. And, you know, she's, like, dripping hot candle wax on him, and he's, like, struggling. But, like, that's what he paid him for, I guess. She says that she hopes that she's not too forward, but, you know, how about he comes to her place after this? And he's like, really? You, you want that? Then um, she starts insulting the guy's little penis or whatever, and because that's what he wants. He enjoys the insult. And Bane starts getting nervous because uh, apparently he's got a little penis too is what it comes down to. <laughs> so Harley goes to Etrigan's uh, magic shop, and she wants a sex spell to give Ivy the best Valentine's Day ever like where the neighbors think someone's dead and they call the cops or whatever. So she reads the spell. It's forty nine ninety nine, And she returns to Selena's place. Harley says that they can watch whatever she wants, uh, gives a little smooch. And Ivy says, she's like, oh, I'm so turned on right now. And Harley's like, oh, don't you want to watch your show first? She's like, no. So then there they go. They they go off in the bedroom. Blah, 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 do, 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 do. And then Ivy's like, oh, sings out. And these like flower petals fall all over the city. Then they're relieved. Then they hear some people outside. And, and the people are like, they start doing it out in the street. And Harley's like, well, look at that. What are they doing? Do we see Aquaman and Mira talk on a couch? She talks about how she was assassin and she like went to kill Aquaman, but she didn't because he's like, oh, I can be charming. And Clayface and his bottom half are in separate horse-drawn carriages. And, but then the spell hits them too. Bane goes to Etrigan's. He needs his help. And then uh, Etrigan's like, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Let me guess, you want a bigger penis? <laughs> so he gets this potion. He pours it down his pants and he, he's like glowing and he's like in pain. He sees a warning. It says, do not use if on HGH. He's like, oh no. Because I guess that's a human growth hormone. I don't know. He ends up growing like gigantic. And now he's also like super horny from the spell. So he's going around and he starts like, you know, his clothes are ripped off. He's basically naked and he's like humping buildings and everything. Harvey and Ivy see that everyone and everything are like uh, doing it in the streets and everything like that. So Harley finally tells Ivy what she did. They, they end up like fighting Bane and he, cause he's again, romancing buildings, like knocking things down and stuff like that. So Ivy says that they need to, to turn off Bane. So basically they're going to like make a mess up dating profile, whatever. And they, they finally get Clayface to get him to grow giant to whatever. So he can pose as this one guy. I forget who the guy was. He's this shirtless guy with like this big patch of hair. He has his like self-help books or something like that, whatever. Bane, blah, 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 fight goes on. Bane's finally back to normal, but he's still giant. Then Betty shows up. So they, they talk a little bit. Then they go off together. And Harley's like, how do you think that's going to work? <laughs> so then Ivy says to Harley, next time she gets the idea to try to do the best whatever, she's like, this is the best relationship I've ever had, ever. She's like, by a mile. And then she's like, you never asked what was my best Valentine's Day. And Harley's like, I don't want to hear about some pimple-faced kid from your boarding school giving you a hickey. And she's like, no, that's not it. She's like, it was a long time ago when I was alone. So we see her like, she was like sitting in her cell in Arkham. She's feeling like no one in, in the dang world cared about her. Like if she disappeared from earth, it wouldn't matter. Then she hears a knock on her soul and she looks up and there's Harley, Dr. Quinzel, when she was like a psychiatrist. She's like, you, you brought me some chocolate milk that you stole from the, the commissary and asked if I wanted some company. She's like, I said, sure. 
And then Harley described the entire plot of Shrek 2 to her because she couldn't believe that she hadn't seen it. And she's like, she tells Harley, she's like, you made me feel like, like I mattered. And she's like, no one had ever really done that for me. She's like, I don't know if that Valentine's Day can be topped. And she's like, I love you, Ive. I love you too. Smooch. And then it ends with them on the couch and they're talking about stuff. And they're like, wait, why are we here? Everyone already knows all this stuff. And they're like, oh, these episodes have to be a certain length. And then they're like, well, let's just say Valentine's Day and get out of here. Blah, blah, blah. So that was it. <laughs> so it was, it was, a, I, I liked the episode. It, it was, it felt, I don't know if it's just because there's, it's been a little bit of a, a gap since the last, you know, season. And maybe I just had overload, but I just, I really like the animation. I think the style is so slick and the colors are so vibrant. I like the characters, you know, some of them can be a little annoying. I, I don't care for Clayface so much because it's just, it gets a little redundant. But I, you know, I, I, I love the fact that we have Harley and Poison Ivy together. You, you, they can do that. And it's just, it's, it can be fun. You know, it's not taking itself seriously. And I think that's important that, you know, do we need all the adult stuff? It sets it apart from other things. Does it make it better than other stuff? Not necessarily, but it allows them to be like weird and wacky, and that's fine. So that was uh, the latest Harley Quinn. Um, I don't know when it's coming back for like a regular season because this was just a special episode. But that was that's it. So that that's gonna be it for this this week's episode. No more. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They our big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I'm still, still talking about X-Men to hidden years, John Burns. It's really enjoyable just to go, go back, just classic times, especially you know, with how I feel. I, I love, love, love the X-Men. I'm not super duper crazy about the, the current stuff. I like a lot of it, but there's just some I don't like. So it's just really cool to go back. And there's something about John Burns art. It's just, it feels so timeless. It's just so, so crisp and neat and everything. So you can hear about that. And again, extra podcast. Um, I'll do movies soon and off my minds and all that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. What are we going to get next week? So Last of Us, remember Last of Us, I could have possibly tried to squeeze in the next episode, but I just don't want to do that. Um, it aired Friday because Super Bowl. Um, so you, you get the next episode, last of a servant, uh, second episode of flash, I guess more bad batch. Um, I don't know if they're going to do one or two. I don't know why they did two last week. Uh, we'll get the last episode of Velma and the main feature next week is going to be Ant-Man Wasp Quantumania. So it's finally here. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I, I can't wait for, I'm, I'm, I feel like it's, been, well, I guess we just had, uh, Wakanda forever, but it feels like it's been a while. Wakanda forever. I mean, it, it was good. It was different. I like the, the fun and wackiness of, of the Marvel movies. I know some people don't like that because they're, they're a bunch of Scrooges, I guess. But I, I'm really excited. You know, I like Paul Rudd, and, and I'm really curious to see what they do with Kang and how this is going to be like. The big Plus, we got friggin' Modak. <laughs> so I'm going to go get ready for this, uh, even though it's, it's a ways away. But. That's going to be it for this week. So I hope you are doing well. I hope you had a great week. I hope you have a really good week coming up. I hope you are doing well. 
I hope everything in your life is fine. I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're you know, appreciating the time that you have with each other. Don't take things for granted. So just make sure you remember you can make a difference. Be good to each other. 